Blog Talk Radio. Father, 
Father God, we just thank you again for this medium, for this radio program, for this blog talk um, service. We praise you for the opportunity, Father, to be able to come before you, give you praise, lift up the saints, encourage one another, because there are so many of us, Father, quite, quite honestly, even though we do the best that we can to put on our smiley Jesus faces, we're very, very tired. And we also are very painfully, indeed, aware of the last decade of prophecies that have said things along the lines of, I know my children, you know, how absolutely exhausted or tired or whatever you are, and um, words of encouragement, and we, we acknowledge them, and we thank you, Father God, for being so encouraging and loving for us. And it is hard. It is very hard. And as we look forward into the what appears to be months, likely years in, in, into the future, we just do not know. We look back in time, and we see a time that has gone by that appears to have gone by pretty fast. But that just is a dynamic that's associated with our humanness here in the flesh. Father, we just pray for your strength and your anointing to come upon each and every one of us, Lord. We need to be lifted up where we are. Some of us are just so unbelievably blessed to be in a state of retirement, have funds to be able to sustain ourselves. Um, And wow, what an amazing and incredible blessing that is indeed. Father, we just pray for those, I pray, I personally pray out to you, Father, in Jesus' name, for those of us who are kind of stuck working in the, in the workplace, um, as uh, literally 50, 60, 70, 100,000 plus people are being laid off. It, it appears to be once every few weeks now at this rate. Um, and the intensity uh, upon the average worker is increasing to some magnitude of probably five, six-fold. Um, it, it, it is it, it ever increasingly more difficult to wake up and face the next day. But we have your hope to help to strengthen us, even if it's just a little bit, to be able to pick ourselves back up and go rinse and repeat and do it all over again as we're anxiously awaiting the transformation of our bodies in hopes of being maybe alive even at the date, whatever that special day is that you have chosen for the fullness of the Gentiles to have been brought in, Father, even a floating date, which I is what I believe a date that will be determined by you as the time uh, when it is perfect for you, Father, and your holy will, and your mercy upon the people out there who just do not see. There are so many of our fellow brothers and sisters, especially in the United States of Babylon the Great, who amidst the teachings of churchianity have lost their way. Um, And without passing judgment, Father, out of sympathy and empathy, we pray in the name of Jesus that you're holy and righteous, Eyes will look into the churches, look into the body of Christ, not just in this country, but in hundreds of other countries, and find those who have that good heart. Find those who have simply been misled by by virtue of where they landed in life, and help help them to jettison forward, to awaken to the things that are happening around the world, to not be um, sucked into the riptide of deception that is so pervasive right now. It's just astonishing. 
And we just give you all the praise, Father God, that your mercy will reach out and touch these people. We ask you, Father, to outpour these anointings, even in dreams and visions of the night, as it says in Job 33, 14, and 15, that you will touch these people and awaken them with these dreams, that you will pour out your spirit upon all flesh in a way that, in a manner that you have never done before, even upon your own people, Father, that they will be awakened out of this, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to call it, but they're, it, they are utterly unaware of the darkness that is closing in at extremely high rates of speed uh, upon all the peoples of all the nations of the earth. And, um, and we know how remarkably dangerous that can be because it would cause a complacent spirit to fall upon them and they would walk, you know, they would go through their walk uh, in their Christian life with, without, you know, without following with, they wouldn't be in alignment with your holy will. They wouldn't be in alignment with your admonition to our generation, the season that we'll call it the fig tree generation. We, we were told by you, Lord Jesus, and by your apostles, that we must watch ye therefore, that we must watch, because if we do not watch, we run a noteworthy risk of potentially not being ready. That doesn't guarantee that we wouldn't be ready. It just simply means that the odds are higher. And we thank you, Father, because while it is an, a, a, an, um, an immeasurably difficult burden to be so aware of all the darkness that is closing in on us, to see literally the infrastructure of the mark of the beast being injected into the bodies of, you know, the human race across the entire world and to have it happening before our very eyes, to see simultaneously the infrastructure of the one world government, the infrastructure of the money system on a global scale that is necessary to usher in the, the true mark of the beast. The necessary removal of cash because if cash were usable, then people would have a way to circumvent the mark of the beast. However, when we go to a cashless society, which the implements are already being pushed out across the world, there will be no way to circumvent the mark of the beast. Meaning that those who are caused to take it, as the scripture says, who would have no way to buy or sell, as the scripture says, would be completely locked out of all options associated with general life. No way to buy any food, no way to drink any drink, no way to have anything, anything at all. Uh, and and I, I, the only thing I can imagine, and, I, and that's all that I have left, because the Bible does not give us that amount of detail. Praise you, Jesus, and we understand that, Father. I guess it's just not for us to know. But there's no indication in the book of Revelation on how the tribulation saints survive. We have some tiny little glimpses of uh, cities of refuge, perhaps. That's how they've been referred to by some of the visions and dreams that are reflective or appear to be reflective of the period of the Great Tribulation, or even perhaps in the days just prior to the Day of the Lord. Very difficult to stitch the timeline together, Father. But other than the cities of refuge and the gatherings of uh, Christians together in localities, 
uh, oftentimes appearing in the visions to be up in the mountains, which is fascinating because Matthew 24 tells us that when the abomination desolation is standing in the holy place, let the reader beware, you know, when that appears, that we should not even take time to go back and get clothing or anything. We should just make a run for it. And it tells us literally to run into the mountains. (laughs) It's amazing. I wonder how literal that actually is. And is that exactly what ultimately ends up happening to so many that maybe end up missing the barley harvest rapture? And, oh, Lord, our Father, we pray so much for the wisdom of James chapter 1, verse 5. If anyone seeks wisdom, let them ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given to them. Father, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your anointing. We know, Father God, that that even in accordance with the way that Daniel had prayed in Daniel 9.25, even in accordance with the way that uh, Nehemiah had prayed in chapter 1, verse 6, there is always a petition, a cry from the saint, a cry from the patriarch, Father, incline thine ears, do not delay. Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will not delay. We need the anointing of the of your wisdom upon each of our hearts to be able to withstand the days that we have to endure right now because of the filth. Actually, indeed, because of the magnitude of the filth that we're being subject to. And it would be wonderful if we could all just disappear off to a beautiful vacation island resort and not have to be subject to it at all, but we're surrounded by it, and there isn't no way, there's literally no way to climb out of it. It is so, it has us so completely cornered and checkmated. And Father, we just praise you that we are awake and aware to these things. We thank you for revealing the infrastructure of the Revelation 13 beast government being uh, deployed right now. We praise you for helping us to understand that, you know, what, what is graphene oxide? What are these nanoparticles? How do they interface with 5G? How, wh- what does this all mean? Why must there be a cashless society? Why doesn't it matter that there, is, uh, co- there are claims out there of another type of cash with a new name that's being made? No knowing that that cannot be, even if it does exist, okay, that it can't be an implement for paying for things because that would cancel out the crucial requirement of there being no cash because any cash would allow uh, the tribulation saints and the people alive on the earth to circumvent the mark of the beast system and go and buy food because it would be used as trade, because the tribulation saints could do things and work and and touch other people's lives and be given that cash, which would circumvent the mark of the beast, which would allow them to go buy buy food, which would cancel out the, the requirement to get the mark. So we know that there are so many deceptions now, Holy Lord, and we don't understand where they all fit. But we do praise you beyond measure for the wisdom that you have imparted upon our hearts thus far through the word of God, and that we can stand on that word of God, that the lies that have been pervaded by, by Satan and his evil ones about the scripture being adulterated or changed are just that, simply lies, and they're being sadly perpetuated by people who um, mean well, but are just not aware. And Father, we pray for your forgiveness 
and the scope of your forgiveness to just expand outward just so far, Father, around this world a hundred times, a hundredfold, to touch all of our brothers and sisters in every single country and every one of the 33,000-plus denominations that are out there, Father, to touch them, Father, and to forgive them. We're asking for your mercy, your mercy to be poured out upon them like the crystal river, Father, in the name of Jesus, because we're all woefully ignorant of the things that we need to be aware of in many cases and just given just a teeny-weeny little glimpse of the things, of the major events perhaps, that are that are queued up to occur uh, possibly within a relatively short period of time. Father, we thank you for um, the information that you have given us. We would, I want to believe with all of my heart that the information that has been given to me uh, is 100% accurate. I, I think I would be foolhardy to embrace such a notion. Um, if anyone thinks they know anything, they know nothing yet, as they ought to know, 1 Corinthians 8, 2. And we all see through the mirror dim, dimly, and we all prophesy in part, even those who are in, quote, the office of a prophet. And so we praise you for helping us to be able to understand and to recall all the scriptures, perhaps through an anointing of the Holy Spirit at just the right time, to be able to sense the the mistakes that are written into the words of your prophets, even the good ones uh, that are around today, um, and to, to, to quickly pick up on them and detect them and to be able to shelf it, because we know that it, it isn't accurate. It doesn't line up with your word. And we praise you for helping us to understand these things, to be sensitive to these things, and, and not to get tied up and, and just, you know, bicker and be disparaging, you know, and going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and debating things and, and, and breaking all of the uh, behavioral uh, standards that you have set for us in Galatians 5.19. Father, we don't want to be anywhere near any of that. We don't want to lose any of our inheritance and rewards. We pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will strengthen us beyond our understanding and comprehension, not only now, please do not delay, but in the days ahead, we ask you for both physical and spiritual strength, because we need them both, particularly those of us who are working in the work environment, regardless of what country you're in, whether you're in France, Belgium, Spain, uh, you know, uh, Ukraine. I mean, no matter where you're working at, South Africa, Namibia, Father God, you know, Mauritius, uh, New Zealand, Tasmania, Father, wherever it is that anyone is working in their in, in a work-related uh, uh, culture that is having wokeness jammed down their throat, that is having uh, exceedingly difficult cultures and exceedingly difficult stress stressors placed upon them to the point where sometimes we can barely sleep even two or three hours a night, pitching and turning to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right, to the point where the next day we get up and by nine o'clock in the morning we're so tired that coffee has no effect and we can barely even form a sentence. But I guess it was for a time such as this that we are here, and we praise you for that, Father, and we're praising you in advance. We're praising you in advance because we believe with all of our heart there's a reason that you have put us in this place. There's Maybe there's a characteristic. Maybe there's some, uh, I don't know, um, attribute associated with our personalities. Um, I don't know, but it does appear and we praise you for this, Lord. It does appear that um, 
you know, there's a reason why we were chosen for this time. And while it is unclear utterly why we position ourselves before thee, Father, and pray for your righteousness to overwhelm us, a desire to be placed upon our heart through your anointing that it just over, it overcomes us utterly, just utterly overcomes us in, a, in an uncontrollable desire to be holy and righteous in every thought, every behavior, every characteristic, every feeling that we have. Help us, Lord, as you have thus far, to continue in our sanctification process so that we're able to walk closer to you, more anointed and harmonious with your will, and more pure in our thoughts, our feelings. Give us strength, Lord, we pray. Uh, as it says in Isaiah forty thirty one, 31, uh, those, you know, that, that, that you, Father God, will renew our strength. Those who wait upon the Lord, like a waiter waiting on a table, you know, who, who, it's not about waiting and looking out the window. It's about serving you, Father. And for those of us who serve you, you will renew our strength, that we would mount up with wings of eagles and run and not be worried, walk and not faint. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus for that anointing to come upon each of us. We pray for an anointing to come upon the strength of our flesh bodies, because without the strength that we need, the physical endurance that we need in our bodies at the ages that many of us are at right now, it will be impossible for us to be able to finish. I won't say it will be impossible to be able to finish the race, but it will certainly be impossible for us to perform at the level that it appears that we are going to be required to perform at in a relatively short period of time. Whether that be 2024, January the 6th of 2025, or three, four, five months, or even more later, we don't know. We do praise you for helping us to see the uh, seismic activity, for lack of a better term, associated with the Cascadia subduction zone and the 600-mile crack that has been being studied right now by um, specialists, uh, geologists, I guess they call them. There's a special whatever name for people who specialize in earthquake stuff, but I don't know what that is, seismologists perhaps. But Father, we just praise you for, for all of these indicators. We thank you for the indicators and news reports associated with the, with the uh, F-35 testing uh, and the sortie runs, uh, practice sortie runs in to test the Iranian air defenses for the um, imminent uh, tactical nuclear strike on the Fordow facility. We praise you, Father God, for helping us to understand that we are in the midst of uh, not, only the, you know, not only the second seal, we are in the midst of the third seal. We see and are experiencing, with beyond any shadow of a doubt, the beginning of the fourth seal, uh, Father God. And we see many of the leaders, many of the uh, uh, pr- preliminary um, events, um, things like the, the Pentagon coming forward with their UFO chief, uh, announcing to the entire world that there is a strong reason to believe that there's a large mothership out in our solar system. The very utterance of those words is rather astonishing, given some of the information that we have and we're holding dear. It's remarkable, Father God, that we're aware of these 15-minute cities that we've gotten word through your, through, somehow, supernaturally, uh, even from the Endgame DVD on the last program where I played an audio snippet and one of our other brothers and sisters, uh, Brother Justin, had uh, pointed out that was on the Endgame DVD that was uh, released and published to the world uh, from Alex Jones's uh, InfoWars operation as far back as 2009. That 
unbelievably so, had predicted virtually every single thing that we see happening today regarding the vaccines, regarding the use of uh, this notion that um, carbon is somehow dangerous to the world. And all that was pre-planned and, and uncovered and revealed to us decades ago, you know, more than well over a decade ago, and indeed for some people even longer. We thank you, Father, for all of these things, for all these uh, events. We thank you for helping us to see them moving forward, even in the midst of, of the endless, endless, endless shiny object distractions that are occurring in each of our lives. We praise you, Father God, for all the trials, the tribulations. We thank you, Father God, for the revelation of the thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12.10. Therefore, I have, I take pleasure in my infirmities. I take pleasure, hallelujah, in my reproaches. I take pleasure in my needs. I take pleasure, Father, in my distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will continue to make us weak, but also make us strong. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and thank you, Father. Father, please do not delay. Father, please, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not delay. For we need this infusing of strength, spiritual strength, and, and physical strength to be able to bring us at the level of performance that I believe that the throne room wishes and desires of us to be able to bring us to that place, to wherever that place is. We don't know where that is. But we ask you, Father, for that anointing without delay to touch us, to motivate us, to get us on those exercise machines, to regulate our diets, to make our to enhance our attitudes and our feelings so that we are depression proof as much as is possible by your anointing and touch. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and thank you. Father, we praise you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And let me see here. Once again, I, I, I'm, I'm shuddering to think of how many things I probably forgot to get ready uh, to queue up here for the program tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Um, simply because I'm, I, I, I'm admitting that I am physically exhausted, and that's okay. That's okay. I, I absolutely take pleasure in my exhaustion. I take pleasure in my difficulties. I take pleasure in my left leg hurting me every time I stand up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I take pleasure. I know there are other people out there that are suffering from ailments and sicknesses and things and challenges and, and uh, medical procedures that I'm not, and I praise God for, for your strength, your anointing, Father God, and your healing blood, Lord Jesus, to come down and infuse itself into the bodies of every one of us, Father, that we might may, may be part of that first fruits barley har harvest and leave this very dark place and be in your presence to stand before you. A lot of people don't recognize, Lord, how significant Luke 21:36 is when it says, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, oh golly, um, when it when it says, um, uh, 
Let us, oh, hallelujah, I'm going to go ahead and open it up and read it verbatim. What a day. Folks, I'm operating on less than fumes. If this was, if I was a gas tank right now, I'd be sputtering, coughing, and the car would be pulling over to the side of the road, quite honestly. All right, thank you, Jesus. But I wanted to share this. 2136 is really a, a very interesting verse because it's it, it, woven amidst it are mysteries that many are not aware of, where it says, watch therefore, this is our command, and by the way, this if you do a word search on the words watch therefore if you have a powerful boolean boolean is what it's called search functionality in any of your bible study programs and you're able to search on all the scriptures that say the word well you could do it the easy way and just simply say watch w-a-t-c-h and search on all um occurrence excuse me all occurrences of the word watch now, you're going to have to ferret through that list that you end up with because many, of many, many, I pray probably tens and tens and tens of dozens of the scriptural references that will come up will not have anything to do with what I'm talking about. But if you're able to ferret out and unpack the ones that are related to where we were being admonished by Jesus, admonished by the apostles, to watch ye therefore, to keep our eyes open, to understand when that when that fig tree is starting to bud and those green leaves are starting to come out, and knowing what, the, what does that mean, and realizing what the repercussions are if we fail to watch. You know, so many uh, people, praise God, thank you Jesus, that I talk to that are out Um you know, they unplug just like I do sometimes, like we all have to. The The thing that's kind of interesting, though, is that while I love to unplug, while I recommend that we all unplug, we have to continue to watch, which requires us to plug back in again, doesn't it? And it's, 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 it's a paradox. Every attribute, every piece, every step that we take on this difficult path, is a paradox. It's a it's a confusing conundrum. It is a riddle. It has duplicitous meanings, and it is exceedingly difficult to comprehend how. For example, just looking at the scripture, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now. This is really, really, and by the way, the subtitle of this particular, um, these particular two paragraphs is called, in the New King James, the subtitle is The Importance of Watching. Fascinating, isn't it? That they would actually, so we're talking about how important it is to watch and that you can do a word study on the word watch. And if you, you know, search out the ones that are referring to watching for Jesus, one of the things, you know, for example, it says, but take heed to yourselves. Watch out for yourself, it's saying, because your heart might become weighed down. And then you'll, you know, be carousing and be full of drunkenness and be overwhelmed by the cares of this life. And, that, and then that day, the day of Jesus coming for his bride, will come upon you unexpectedly. You won't see it coming. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus, that the Godhead, that the Word, that made it into our Holy Bible is literally warning us about the exact things that are clearly affecting us right now? 
take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, that that, that day will come upon you unexpectedly. So Jesus is warning us here that we gotta watch we gotta be careful not to you know to, to when we unplug. We gotta be really, really careful when we unplug because one of the consequences of unplugging is the cares of the world overwhelming us so badly so that we miss that we miss that 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 in my opinion, that gigantic spherical shaped mothership that appears in the sky we realize that once NASA comes on TV and explains all the people that are missing were taken by the aliens, providing that that, you know, my belief, which is very strong in this regard because of the number of confirmations from different disparate sources that I've received over many, many, many long years of time, when I have a tidbit of information, whether it's complete, Whether it has a margin of error, I do not know. But when I have something that has been confirmed over many, many, many years of time from several different highly credible and anointed sources, those are the things which I hold dear to. I hug them like a teddy bear. I won't let them go. Things like my mother telling me that Obama is the Antichrist. When I was 10 years old in 1972, see, to, the, to many of the others out there that were preaching that Obama was the Antichrist, they have moved on. They figured like, oh, well, I was wrong, and they've moved right on, and now they're going out and doing whatever else they do. Not me. I hug it like a teddy bear because my mother said so, and so far everything that was given to her from the Lord has come true. Not a lot. She didn't get a lot of stuff. But the two things she was given to give to me at the age of 10 came true. That causes me great caution. That combined, oh my gosh, with so many confirmations. It was years after we brought David Doetry on the program that, that uh, Augusto, Pastor Augusto Perez joined the show and confirmed that he too had seen the spherical mothership the Death Star-like mothership in the sky. Never mind the literally hundreds of bronze, shiny, copper, it looks like gold, bronze mothership spheres, sculptures that are located originally, to the best of my understanding, only two of them existed originally. One was outside the United Nations building, and the other one was outside the Vatican Library. And I believe that was uh, the way that it was around about 2009. Now, there may have been other ones out there at that time, but the only ones that I was aware of in 2009 were the Vatican Library and the United Nations. How apropos, by the way. But now when you do a deep dive research on those same sculptures, evidently they appear all over the world now. Praise God. Isn't it fascinating that the Georgia Guidestones were relocated? Somebody told me, or I got information now, I'm probably wrong about this, so if you want to send me an email to jbaptist777 at gmail.com and correct me, please do. We're all in this together, and I am definitely not a a source of authority in any sense. We are in this together, which means that I need, desperately so, I need your help, and I beg you for it. Okay? Amen. Uh, But I'll go ahead as 
unlikely to bear fruit as this is. I'll go to DuckDuckGo.com and let's see. Um, Georgia Guide Stones moved. Okay, now let's see if I get a hit on this. Okay, so anyway, um, no, I don't know if I want to. What happened to the Guidestones bombing? No, 27 before Bizarre Facts, American Stonehenge. Nope, 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 not a word about it. So I got word, so please do correct me if you can. Um, praise God if you do and you have information about this, because I surely would love to know it. Um, so again, it's jbaptist777 at gmail.com if you can help me fill in the blanks on this mystery. But I was told somebody sent me a communication. I do not know who. I do not know how. But I do remember that the content of the communication was such that the guidestones, the Georgia guidestones, were simply being moved like to Egypt or some other places, place over in the Middle East. So if you have any insight, information, or whatnot regarding where they have either A, moved the Georgia Guidestones, or B, are planning to move the Georgia Guidestones, please do email it to me at jbaptist777 at gmail.com. I would love that. God bless you for doing that. Praise God. So when we look at the scripture associated with the fig tree generation, we go all the way back to Matthew and hold on just a second. No, I, I take that back. It's Luke 29. Luke 21, 29. And i got to be really careful how I position my cursor here because, yeah. Okay, so it's definitely 21, 29. And um, it says, and this is the parable of the fig tree. And Jesus, it says, then he spoke to them in the parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and you know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, what is a synonym, a type of a synonym, not a direct synonym necessarily? Okay, they're in different forms. But what is a close synonym-ish, I'll say synonym-ish word to the word watch? S-E-E, so what So it says in verse 31, so you also, when you see, watching, because you're watching, you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, this becomes a conundrum, a, an unexplainable dynamic in the text. And why is that? Well, for example, Charles Stanley just passed away at the age of 90. Was he alive when the fig tree was starting to bud the green leaves? Yes, he was. So when it says, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away, what about Charles Stanley? Did God forget him? Why wasn't he included? Wasn't he watching hard enough? So the dynamics that are associated scripturally with, the, with, with words like generation, such like that, um, people will 
look, they will try so hard to try to figure things out in the Bible, and they will see the word generation, and they'll say to them, okay, they'll look at the Old Testament and when God decided that roughly a man or woman would live roughly in the in you know approximately eighty years or so. Okay, so then they would say, okay, well, the word generation must mean eighty years, give or take, you know, and they'd have a you know, and I'm like. No, that doesn't work because you go back to First Peter two nine. It says you are a royal priesthood, a or, or is it? Uh, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on ten. No, it's a. Uh, so if I let me jump over to it, why not? Praise the Lord. First Peter two. I'm just going to say two nine. Yep, there it is. So in First Peter two nine, it says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." So you can all stop now. Consider what you, what you just heard. When was when was First Peter two nine written? Was it talking to the people in the twelve hundreds? Was it talking to the people in the fourteen hundreds? Was it talking to the people in the 1600s? Were they all those who loved Jesus with all of their heart? Let's say 1358. Were all those people who loved Jesus with all of their heart, who are totally sold out to him and our Heavenly Father, were they part of that chosen generation? Were they part of that royal priesthood, that holy nation that were called out of the darkness and into his marvelous light? They were. Wow. That really expands the scope of the word generation, doesn't it? It expands it to thousands of years, doesn't it? It surely does. It surely does. So anyway, when we go back to Luke 21, uh, 36, thank you, Jesus. And we see where it says, now remember, okay, so let's again, just to recap and to embed deeper into your spirit the significance of all this, praise you Jesus. It says, so you also, when you see these things happening, because you're watching, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you that this generation will no means pass away. Well, that's hard to quantify now, isn't it? It surely is. In fact, I would submit that it is absolutely impossible to quantify, simply because to define a generation when babies are being born every, as a matter of fact, you know, let's just, since we're on this subject, I just love to analyze these things logically. How many babies are born each day? Let's see what the the, uh, DuckDuckGo tells us here. All right, praise God. The world counts how many babies are born each day. Wow, how about that? All right, so you ready for this? There are 385,000, this is an approximation, there are 385,000 babies born every day. 385,000 babies are born every day. Now, let's, let's, let's add to our wisdom a little, a wee bit, shall we? Um. Let's ask it how many people die each day. Okay, how about that? All right, hallelujah, and let's look at this little answer and see what it says. Okay, deaths per day are 332,648. 
deaths per day. Okay? All right? Now, with that cycle occurring, all you know, hundreds of thousands of babies being born every day, hundreds of thousands of people dying every day, um, and then you've got you, – you, at the end of the day – so much for the pun of the colloquialism. But at the end of the day, really, folks, all I'm trying to say is you can't define a generation no matter how hard you try. It's impossible. But where the really critical understanding, one of, one of the coolest things to come to the realization of is where it says, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may, may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, wherein is that extra um, zing of supernatural mystery woven into the Scripture? And I'll tell you where it is. Now, it's remember, please, that to the person who lived in 1368, this Scripture was applicable to them. Now, you might make the argument because this particular passage in the Bible follows the parable of the fig tree, which is talking about the very end, which is, it's all a part of the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24, where Jesus went up on the Mount of Olivet, and he sat there and he told, it, he told them all, you know, these are the things that are going to happen just before I come for y'all. Okay, this is, you know, because they were so curious, you know, and it's so fascinating that even though Jesus went, it went to the level of detail that he did, which was phenomenal, it was phenomenal, you know, all things considered, it was an awful lot of detail. There will be pestilences, there will be famines, there will be here a Jesus, there a Jesus, everywhere a Jesus, Jesus. There are, people will say that they saw me out there, do not go, it is not me. You know, all this guidance, we will be taken before tribunals and magistrates, and we won't know what to say, but trust that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And all, and, you know, and all these things, these details, and the things are happening right now, you know, signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, seas, you know, seas roaring, you know, how much of that do we see happening right now? What's up with these these hurricanes that are no longer, you can't even classify them anymore. The meteorologists are absolutely befuddled. They look at hurricanes like um, uh, uh, Irma and Ian, how they slammed into Florida, and the, the sheer width, the, 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 so big, so awfully, awfully, awfully big that the classification system that classifies the impact of the hurricane that is based purely upon wind speed is no longer sufficient to capture the destructive force of the hurricane because now you're not just talking about the wind speed. Now you're talking about the sheer width, the diameter of the storm, and how much land it's destroying in the process of moving across the land. That completely renders the hurricane uh, strength system, the, the measuring system, the metrics, it renders them irrelevant. Now all we know is that the, you know, the, the wind speed is X, therefore it's a class, you know, it's a category four, or the wind speed is Y, and therefore it's a category five. What we don't have anything to calculate into that number of the, you know, that's supposed to be representative of destructive power or destructiveness, we don't have the width 
in there to calculate. How wide is it? How much land is it going to destroy? How many houses is it going to wreck? You know, um, and again, I could go into all the details associated with the difference in 2004 between Charlie when it pulled into Punta Gorda versus Ian when it pulled into almost the same place just about 30 minutes south of Punta Gorda. And when Charlie pulled in in 2004, when Charlie pulled into Punta Gorda, I was out swimming in my pool. I was having probably a rum drink, you know, enjoying the sun and everything else. When Ian pulled in at almost exactly the same place on the coast of Florida, I was holding on for dear life. I was rebuking the wind. I This house was getting bashed, battered. I had people – I mean, it was unbelievable the things it – was, it, was, it was night and day. There was absolutely beyond no comparison Hurricane Charlie versus Hurricane Ian. Two plus hours south of me, Ian pulls in, and my house is being bashed with sustained winds that are beyond hurricane force. Two hours south of me. That has never happened in the history of the world. Ever. So you might say, well, what do you mean seas roaring? Hey, I'm here to tell you, seas roaring. You may, that just because you might live in a part of the world where you don't have those seas roaring doesn't mean they're not roaring. They are. We do now understand that it's catastrophic climate change. It is not, has nothing to do with the lies that Satan is using to try to trick the gullible, which, oh my goodness, on a, I don't even want to go there. It's probably one of all of our greatest frustration factors of being alive right now is we don't have anybody to share this with. We're admonished in the Bible, in the first book of James, that we're supposed to share our concerns. You know, it's a, it, 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 I've covered that many, many times. And we're supposed to share with our fellow brothers and sisters our concerns that we may heal, that we can pray for each other and we can heal together because we're go, all going through this together. We're going through the same things together. But the problem is those of us who are awake to all of these things are so deeply separated by thousands of miles, by countries, by oceans. And those that are anywhere near us that we would even attempt to share, even a portion of what God has shown us, we would be rebuked, we would be called out. We might even be reported to the authorities. You know, a very large portion of the people that are queued up right now to be prosecuted for the January 6th lie from Satan, the false flag event, totally a false flag event, totally false flag all right, the, 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 they have queued up hundreds and hundreds of more people to be prosecuted against the January 6th event, even though it was a lie from the devil, completely forged with crisis actors, black ops, FBI, unbelievable, proven beyond any shadow of doubt, yet they're still persecuting people and keeping them in jail over it. Come on, folks, really. So anyway... Right now, we live in a time – I don't know what percentage it was, but there for a while, I had a stream of headlines coming in of children, teenagers, ratting out their moms and their dads for going down to the January 6th event and getting on the FBI arrest list because of their children reporting them. This is Nazi Germany made manifest. In Nazi Germany, they were referred to as the brown, brown shirts. Children that were recruited by, uh, you know, the Fuhrer for the sake of Germany to turn in their moms and their dads and their family and their sisters, their aunts and their uncles to death. 
And they did it happily because they felt that they were doing a wonderful thing for the Fuhrer. And they took so much joy from 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 it, you know, and that's really so we're uh, so let me circle back because I don't want to go down into a rabbit hole, which I mean, I kind of love to go in a rabbit hole sometimes, but I want to circle back to the scripture. Where's the mist? There's probably many more mysteries that I haven't uncovered yet. However, one of the things that I do find is interesting here when I'm looking at Luke 21, 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the son of man. Now, in this particular occurrence of Scripture, we do have license, and I would submit, in fact, a type of a duty to consider the context of the Scripture. Does that mean it's not applicable to the people that lived in 1368? No, it, it, is, it is applicable to them, because if they are praying always to be counted worthy to escape all these things, you, you don't know where their mindset is in 1368. We don't know where the mindset was of the people in 1666. There was evidently a worldwide, I mean, of course, the letters were carried on horseback and overseas and ships and things like that. But there was supposedly a humongous global, I don't even know how big the movement was, but there was a big Christ movement in the Christian circles in 1666, whereby they believed that the Great Tribulation was upon them. I wish I had books on this subject so I could know all the details of what was going on historically at those times that would cause them to believe something like that. Now, in, in, now here's the thing. I would also know just through feelings, uh, critical thinking, that um, they would also have to be – they would not be able to be um, those Christians during those periods of time – including 1836, I think it was, when the LNG White Group, which ultimately led to the Seventh-day Adventist group, um, they also believed that they were in the Great Tribulation. And so you would have to ask your heart, why? What did they see in the Holy Bible that they were able to say is happening right now, and we must be in the Great Tribulation? I would like to know what that was. What was it that the people in 1666 saw that made them say, look at what's happening around us. We are in the Great Tribulation. Now, the one thing that you can derive with critical thinking skills is you can quickly come to the conclusion that those who were doing the Bible exegesis, they were analyzing the things that were in the book of Revelation, and they were coming to the conclusion that they had entered into the Great Tribulation. Those people who were doing that analysis had to be what's called preterists. A preterist, what they do is they take um, metaphors in the Bible. Uh, okay, I'll give you, oh, yeah, like an example of preterism would be Connecting the words, the Hebrew words, the Greek words of uh, Chernobyl, understanding wormwood, understanding it means poison, and then looking at the second trumpet and then going back to the actual Chernobyl nuclear meltdown incident in northern Ukraine and saying, oh, this is the second trumpet. A literalist such as myself would say, no, it's not even close. You really have to stretch stuff, you know, like Gumby to even come close, you know. So anyway, so they would all have to have been people who would take things, the metaphors, and bend them to fit the circumstances that were around them enough to allow them to 
believe that they were in the midst of the Great Tribulation. I thank you, Jesus, that the Lord has led me to become a literalist. And a literalist, the Bible's very literal. It's unbelievably literal. And when you understand the aliens that are all over the Bible, the otherworldly being and the fallen angelic beings and such, and all that, oh my goodness, it goes to a whole nother level. So if it was at a level, level 10 of literalism, now it's at a level 20. It's really, really literal. Now, there are some places that are indisputably metaphorical only, but you can translate them now over to literal events. But anyway, I'm not going to get into all that. But what's really cool about this is in this particular case, we are talking about the Olivet Discourse. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that are about to come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, we are reading that from what part of the Bible? The Olivet Discourse. What was Jesus talking about during the Olivet Discourse? He was talking about the period of time on the earth just before he comes. All right? So when we look at the storyline and what Jesus was trying to accomplish by saying the words that he said, it encapsulates that the timeline of what he was referring to. What time period was Jesus referring to? When was, you know, what, what, what time period is this? Well, we know, because the whole purpose of the Olivet Discourse was to address the question, what will be happening on the earth that we can look for, signs and wonders and whatever, that are going to tell us, hey, we're part of the fig tree generation. Isn't it fascinating that the importance of watching text that includes um, you know, but take heed to yourselves, lest your house be, hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life that they come upon you unexpectedly. Watch, therefore, and pray always you may, may be found. That is bubbled. It is, it is encapsulated into a message that was intended for one purpose and one purpose only. It was intended for, the, for Jesus to be able to communicate to us what would be going on on the earth at the time for that particular group of people, we'll maybe not maybe we'll choose not to use the word generation. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take a look here. So you also he spoke on the parable. I say, okay, let's see if this is a okay, cool. So I'm taking a look at the word generation, and it says. From a presumed derivative, a generation, by implication, oh, listen to this, an age or period. So it goes on, excuse me for the hiccups. It goes on to expand on the word generation, and it says, by implication, an age, a period of time or a period of persons. An age, it says, these are synonyms, by the way, age, generation, nation, and time. A time. What does a time mean? That's pretty ambiguous. The scope could be very large. All right, it says, um, let's see, that which has been begotten, men of the same stock and family. This is where the dictionary is expanding. Several ranks of natural descent, the successive members of a genealogy. Boy, that's an expansive, um, that's a very expansive scope from the word generation. Um, a whole multitude of men living at the same time, hmm. an age, that is, the time ordinarily occupied 
uh, it's there's a misprint here uh, throughout the space of successive generations. Uh, very hard to read because it was all choppy, uh, just badly written. But anyway, so there you see when you look at the expanded Strong's uh, Enhanced Dictionary how well, for lack of a better term, expansive and the possibilities of what the true meaning of the word generation is. By no means does it map over correctly in any sense to 80 years. But what we do know is that the parable of the fig tree and the importance of watching these scriptures in Luke 21, at the very end of Luke 21, is Jesus, he's tying a ribbon on what he just told everybody. He's basically said, all these things are going to be happening just before I come. All these things across the world will be happening. So he has created a barrier. He's created this bubble around what he's communicating. And he's saying that this bubble of events that I'm talking about right now are going to be relevant and applicable to those on the earth just before I come. Now, granted, the people in 1666, the people in 1836, the people, whatever groups of Christians across the world have believed, for whatever reason, that they were, you know, entering into the Great Tribulation, you know, time of Jacob's trouble, whatever the case is, you know, they, they surely had their reasons to believe what they believed, but they didn't have what we have, the Internet. They didn't have access to tens of thousands of, of video cameras all over the world. They didn't have access. Now, granted, you know, we, we know we're being lied to by the media. We know that. But we also have access to things like encrypted channels and Telegram. We, it's endless. It's endless. Our, our information feeds, I don't think we could nail them all down. If we sat down with the greatest of intent with a committee of a half a dozen people and we wrote down on legal tablets every possible um, electronic way. No, not just electronic. Every possible way that, that we could get information. We'll call them channels, data flows of information. How big would that list be? Um, and then if we got granular and we said, oh, well, websites, you know, and we made that a super category, how many of those would there be? Thousands? Millions? Don't even get me going in written text, written text, documentaries, all this stuff. They're all inputs to our understanding of where we are at the time that we are. This was not at the disposal of the people in 1836 or 1666. We have it now. So when our, when our Bible tells us to watch ye therefore and pray always to be counted worthy to escape these things that are going to come to pass and stand before the Son of Man, it is directly relevant to the fig tree generation. It is directly relevant to the fig tree age, the people that are on the earth now. I would expand that word generation to mean essentially this particular group of people who are alive on the earth at this time without regard to the fact that some are going to 380 or some thousand are going to die today and 380 babies or 1000 babies are going to be born today. Okay, so when you when you see that constant cycle of motion through mankind, okay, you know that you can't nail it down. You can't say, well, you, Charles Stanley, shall be here for the barley harvest, because he's not here anymore. But if you would have looked at this scripture uh, five days ago, uh, you would have said, well, Charles Stanley's clearly part of this, this group of people. But now he's not. So it, it, that cycle prevents us from 
being able to contain and identify those who are um, going to be here. I could die tonight. I could drop over. I mean, believe me, <laughs> if, 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 if an angel of the Lord showed up to me tonight and, you know, did the whole, you know, and, you know, and light shining all over my room and glory light all around, all around me. Hallelujah. You know what? And let me tell you, and he said, I, you know, the Lord God has told me that I'm allowed to bring you home. Uh, do you want to come? I'd be like, excuse me, but is this a trick question? <laughs> and the angel would probably strike me deaf or uh, dumb, and I, I wouldn't be able to talk. Who knows? Whatever. Uh, or, or like Paul, you know, blind or whatever until I get there. But you know what's really cool about this scripture, the, the Luke twenty one thirty six scripture, is the part where it says to stand before the Son of Man. Because what most people don't understand is when you examine the Odin Hetrick vision, I'm sorry, the many times that he was taken to heaven, because it's not a vision, not a dream. He was taken to heaven. He, one of the first things he says when he starts talking about the, what he calls, quote, the suburbs of heaven, is he says that it, something along the line of, it is my understanding that this is the place where all Christians come to at first. The suburbs. Now then, that is a... Praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. But we know, because our Bible tells us so, we know that there is an exception to that. Where is Jesus? When you look at Mount Zion, the city of the living God, high up on the hill where there is no shadow of turning because of the glory light of our Father, where all of the city mansions are located, where the throne rooms and the courtrooms of God are located, all this amazingness, this this unfathomable glory. But then the crystal river runs over the side of Mount Zion and it goes out and branches and just spreads out across the, the suburbial area where all the Thomas Kincaid country mansions are and just keeps on. It's so glorious and beautiful. But Odin said, you know, that as far as he knew that this is where all Christians come is into the suburb area. But there's an exception to that rule. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us so. It's called the bride of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Because guess what? The bride of Jesus Christ doesn't hang out mingling around the suburbs of heaven. She's taken to the marriage supper. Those tables are set up. That feast is set up in the city of the living God. So when it says, watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, the things that are happening on the earth right now, the things that are happening on the earth right now, the things that are happening on the earth right now, and stand before the Son of Man, what this says, what this is actually saying is, because if you if you escape all the bad things that are mentioned in the Olivet Discourse, and you are found standing before Jesus himself, you know, whether it's this like crowd of you know, like a million people, and you're, you're in the midst of that crowd, and, but you're still standing right there before Jesus. He's right there. You can see him. He's right there. Then you are located in the city of God. You are an exception to the rule of where the saints normally end up when they go to heaven. You're, you are standing before Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't go into the, the, suburb, the suburbs and the country mansions and stuff like that on occasion. But I can tell you from my vast studies of heaven and how it 
everything happens in heaven and all that kind of stuff, and people's various testimonies, for the most part, all of the apostles, Jesus, Abraham, David, all of them, they reside and stay almost exclusively and almost all the time in the city of God. However, I can tell you also that there have been many that I some I know personally that have the problem is when you when they give you their testimony and they tell you what they saw, they're not able to delineate what part of heaven they were standing in when they saw Jesus walking, you know, and all the people around them. And of course, that makes it ambiguous. Where it makes it very very difficult to be able to. You know, we know that Odin said that he was sitting in a particular room, and they were passing a silver platter around with delicious uh, hors d'oeuvres on it, and you would take some, a hors d'oeuvre off the platter, and another hors d'oeuvre would appear in its place. And Jesus was able to go to multiple meetings such as that at the same time, because he's Jesus, unlike us. We will only be minor gods, light beings. Praise God. But what we can't we can't tell we can't tell no matter how much you study testimonies of people that have been taken to heaven and books of you know and all that kind of stuff at the end of the day you cannot tell for sure one thing that you definitely do know absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt is that when it says in this scripture to stand before the son of man it means you are in the city of god for sure which means guess what else you're going to the wedding supper you are part of the bride, part of the metacoid, the fellow sufferers of Jesus Christ that are going to rule and reign with him forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Does everybody that is taken to heaven meet that criteria? Is everybody a fellow sufferer? You know, no, no, the answer is absolutely not. The vast majority of Christianity will not be part of the ruling class of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not an even playing field. That's why Jesus said, behold, I come quickly, and my rewards are with me, to give to each according to their work. Praise God. But remember that 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14, 15, 16, you know, where it says, and your works will be tested of what sort they are. The word sort means quality. It is not about quantity. It is about quality, the quality of your works. Because if they endure, E-N-D-U-R-E, in other words, if they result in somebody, you know, even, as, even from a standpoint of a contribution, if, it, if, you're, if your behaviors and the way that you touch people's lives on this earth result, even indirectly, in that individual making it to heaven, your work will endure, and you will receive a reward, which is exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians 3. You know, 14, 15, 16, et cetera, you know, where your works will be tested of, of, by fire, of what sort they are. Praise God. And if, and if they don't endure, if they don't, re, then you'll receive a loss. What does that mean? Well, there are rewards or inheritance that you might have received that you won't. And, um, I, I, you know, but I, I, at this point, I think really as we move forward into the end times deeper and deeper every single week or so. Well, every week, really. I mean, every day we're getting deeper. I really think a lot of us, you know, where it says in Daniel 9, I'm sorry, 725-ish, give or take, uh, where it says that he, the Antichrist, will wear out the saints. I really think that we're in a place right now. It's just my, it's my two cents, really. It's my opinion that we're in a place right now where we're worn out already. 
we we're now could we be worn out a lot more than we are right now? Oh my goodness, yes. My goodness, yes. Which is why I try to pray all the time for more strength, more anointing. I need changes to occur to my body. I need good positive changes because um you know, we how are, how in the world are we going to do what God wants us to do if we are limping, crippled, blind, barely able to move? How are we going to do it? Or is is the Lord going to take us home before then? We don't know. One thing I know for sure is that at the you know I need, like so many of us do, physical and spiritual anointing in order to stay up with the pace that it appears we're going to need to operate at in the days ahead, whatever that means. Now, this is laced with assumptions, I admit. But assuming, based upon what I see happening around the world, based upon what one would assume or estimate God would expect of us in the days ahead, it appears to me, as best as I can tell, that we're going to have to be able to run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Amen. Isaiah forty thirty one. Hallelujah. We're going to have to, you know, rise up with wings of eagles. Hallelujah. We're going to have to have everything renewed, you know. And and now I think is a really really good time for all of us, knowing what we know, to be praying fervently that God heals our bodies, heals our legs, heals our knees, heals our hips, heals the parts of our bodies that are struggling right now, as well as the parts of our spirit and our feelings, our emotions inside that have a tendency to get depressed and bummed out and, you know, just flip out. Maybe you just had just the worst ever, ever, ever day at work and you're like, I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. And I believe me, folks, if you are going or have gone through anything at all like this, I'm your best friend. Okay. If misery loves company, we are best buddies ever because it's just the way it is. And can you, oh my goodness. And, and I'm not even going to get into relativity associated with such things because we can't speak to it. There are some places I'm sure that are absolutely beyond horrific to be working at right now. Far worse than anything that I'm experiencing. Far worse than anything that maybe even you're experiencing. And so in recognition of God's mercy, I pray in Jesus' name for every single one of us to be able not only to make the barley harvest. And when I say that I pray, folks, believe you me, I really, really do. I mean, I get not every single day, but just about every single day, I get on my knees, uh, anointed with holy oil, tears pouring down my face, praying for the lost, praying very much the same exact way that we do frequently on the prayer vigil, um, and and I pray for each one of you. I don't know who the vast majority of you are. I praise God for every one of you who do take the time to email me for whatever reason. Praise Jesus. It's wonderful. Or, or use one of the gazillions of text messengers that are out there to text message me. Praise God. But you know what? That's a wonderful thing because it, it fosters fellowship. It expands our horizons, you know, and, and, and it allows 
it's just a wonderful and it's a good godly thing. Praise the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for everything that you have given us, all the anointing, Father God, all of your mercy, because we need it now more than ever before. The one thing that I would say is really important for us to embrace is as we read and arguably these are the most important scriptures of our day. Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse. I would argue strongly that those three chapters of the Bible, in combination with the book of Revelation, a minimum of up to Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, where it says, and the day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I would submit those are the most important scriptures in the Holy Bible right now. Bar none. Absolutely bar none. That doesn't mean that there aren't other scriptures that are very, very important, because there are. Real, I think they're all important. I love them all. But anybody who ever listens to this program knows that. I adore that the Lord is revealed to my heart, even as I was talking just now to you. This wasn't given to me. This was no epiphany. I did not sit down you know, to do the prayer vigil tonight, to be shown this mystery. I knew in my heart that to stand before the Son of Man meant that we would be in the second, some people call it the second heaven, the city of God. I'm not so sure that's an accurate depiction. I, I don't think so. Some people call the second heaven the spiritual realm, which is where the demons are at, which is absolutely wrong, 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 wrong. Absolutely so wrong, it's like embarrassingly wrong. Um... It's just simply the city of God. Let's leave it what it is. Praise Jesus. And, and that means you're going to the wedding supper. So when you read the parable of the fig tree, when you, when, you under, when you expand the scope of what a generation is, you know, an age of people, a designated group, if you will, by virtue of the expansion of the scope, by looking at the, the, you know, the Bible dictionary in Ehan Strong's, when you see that and you're able to encapsulate the Olivet Discourse, and know that Jesus added this. These are add-ons. He said all these bad things are going to happen before I come. And then he says, hey, hey, when you, when you see all these things happening, you know that it's near. Get excited. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Get excited. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you'll be counted worthy to escape all these things and stand before me in the city of the living God. Queued up in line for the marriage supper. Hallelujah. This is what it's talking about. Why do we know that that's what it's talking about? Because it's encapsulated in the Olivet Discourse. It's talking about us. How do we know that? How can we know that more than the people of 1666, 1836? How do we know that more than they do? Because of our inputs. Just going to leave it at that, our inputs. We have more information now, just like it says in Daniel 12, you know, that knowledge that people go to and fro and that knowledge will increase. Oh, my goodness, is that an understatement? I mean, essentially, most of us have sitting in front of us in the form of a laptop or whatever, or a smartwatch or a cell phone or whatever the case is, a device that's more powerful than the biggest supercomputer that existed, uh, you know, 70 years ago. It's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Well, it doesn't mean it's going to be easier for us to wake up on Monday and go back to work. It, you know, we're going to have to endure. We're going to have to keep. That's why we have to pray. But this is encouraging. Because you know what? 
occurred to me until just now as I'm sharing this with you. That's how God operates in my life, is that one of the reasons why I look forward to the prayer vigil is because of these kinds of prayer vigil events, whereby, as opposed to just going through a bunch of scriptures and having it be highly repetitive, um, which I don't get me wrong, I don't see any, I'm not calling fault to that at all. I believe it's a wonderful, blessed, anointed thing, and I miss it sometimes, and I, I wish I had Eight hours. I wish I could do an eight-hour show, and I'd just run. But, you know, who's going to listen to that? You know, you'd have to break the prayer vigil. You'd be listening to it for a month. One prayer vigil taking a month to get through it all. It's just not practical. But God reveals mysteries to me in real time during the prayer vigils when I'm talking about these different things. And one of the things that I always wondered about, I knew that Luke 21:36 was applicable to the people of the 1300s, the 1200s, the 1100s, the 1400s. You know, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. The problem is, while it was still applicable to them, it was it was encapsulated in a period of time that we, we, you, me, you and me are currently living beyond any shadow of a doubt. We have what, a quadrillion times more information than people in 16, or 1836? How many supercomputers worth of more data do we have at our disposal right now on our very cell phones than the people in 1836 had? Try to quantify that for a second. You can't. So what we definitely know is because these scriptures are baked into, bubbled into, contained into the Olivet Discourse, which is speaking about today, what do we know? These words are talking directly to us. Now, it's okay that the people in 1836 thought they were talking to them. Praise the Lord. Same thing with everybody, all of our other fellow brothers and sisters from times gone past. But we know beyond any shadow of a doubt, these are directly for us. Directly for us. Because it's in the bubble of the Olivet Discourse. It's in the bubble of the text that Jesus used to describe one very special event, his coming. And we know that it's for his coming, ultimately for the bride. Now, granted, it's a little bit difficult to slice and dice and understand. You know, like if I go back, I'm just going to share with you an example of how this gets tricky. So if you go to Daniel 7.25, praise Jesus, it says, this is talking about the Antichrist. Daniel 7.25, it says, he, the Antichrist, shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Well, we have that moment in time where Obama um, quoted Psalm, uh, was it 46, where he said, um, oh, Praise Jesus. So let me jump over. I don't have my proper, um, but let me let me see if it's 46. Psalm 46. Let me see if that's it. Um, no. Oh, yes, it is. Thank you, Jesus. So Obama was quoted, and I don't remember the event. I don't remember it. So please forgive me for not remembering the event. We'd have to call Jonathan Kleck right now and get him on the phone. He would remember. But anyway, where Obama said... He, he quoted this right out of the Bible to the world. He said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Obama said those words. Well, that would be the Antichrist. What does Satan want to do? 
exalt himself above God. He wants to be God. That's how come sin was found in him. We go back over to Daniel 7.25, and it says, He, the Antichrist, Obama, shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Well, he already did, and he probably does it every single night. When he's in, ugh, forget it, I'm not even going to imagine that. I don't want to, forget it. Hallelujah, we move on. It says next, it says, He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. I don't know about you folks, but he's married to a transvestite, okay? It doesn't get it deceiving evil. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It, it's, all, it's all come true. It even says that he has no affinity for women, doesn't like women. It describes him to a T. It's a perfect description of Obama. He, Obama, the Antichrist, is using male transvestites like Michael as a weapon against his archenemy, which is the body of Jesus Christ. Does that fit the description that we see here in Daniel 7.25? He shall persecute the saints of the Most High? I think it does. It says, and shall intend to change times and law. I'm going to look at the word times. That troubles me. Times, when we expand the definition with a... uh, proper dictionary. It says in Aramaic, it's aligns to H uh, 2166, um, the same as 2165, a season or a time. Hmm, season, interesting time. A set time, a set season, view the full definition. Let me see what it has here. It says a primitive root through the idea of striking with the fingers properly to touch the strings. No, no, that's not it. It's related to that. No, that's talking about, hold on a second. Let me see. I can't. hmm. Nope. This, this particular expansion is not helpful. That happens sometimes. Sometimes you're looking for a deeper meaning of a particular word with your uh, advanced Bible study tools, and you just don't find what it is you think you should be able to find. In this case, I don't know what the word times mean. It says that he will intend to change times and law. Well, we already know what's going on with the law. We already know that right now the world is getting ready to sign. The whole world, can you imagine that, except for probably the BRICS countries, are getting ready to assign sign off on the World Health Organization Treaty, which will basically give away 100% of all of our rights. As soon as the next health um, emergency is announced, the World Health Organization under the forthcoming treaty will be able to tell us all exactly what we need to do. And they will be able to send law enforcement officials to our homes, bash down the front door, and drag us kicking and screaming to have us forcefully injected with graphene oxide and various evil infrastructure associated with the beast government, the mark of the beast. It goes on to say, and that this is key now, this is key, because I want to make a special point out of this particular phrase of this passage. So again, I'm just going to review. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Check the box. Bing! He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Bing! He shall intend to change times and law. Bing! Now, the last thing it says is, Then the saint shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Now then, 
Is that 100% of all of the saints? When is times, times, and half a time? Well, one of the things we know for sure is that the phrase is times, times, half a time, 1,260 days, 3.5 years, 42 months, and one hour are all metaphors for the 3.5 years of the Great Tribulation, the Great Tribulation, which happens after the day of his wrath has come, Revelation 6.17. So everything after Revelation 6.17 is the Great, Great Tribulation. This is when God casts Satan, the dragon, and all of his fallen angels, the aliens, down to the earth to take over the earth and to run the earth, to rule the earth. You understand? Praise God. That's when Satan incarnates into the body of Obama. This is when the earth gets darker. This is when, I know it's really hard. There's still bits and pieces that are very hard to digest. There, for example, I, I, I can understand why a lot of people would be concerned about, well, how in the world would the Jews, perce- you know, how could they perceive Obama as their Messiah? Well, the question I would submit is, do they necessarily Right? So, again, there's a lot of unknowns, but what you've got to do in the midst of mass confusion of data points is you've got to identify what's known good. This is an uh, advanced troubleshooting technique that is used by engineering people, people like me, okay, that have 37 to 40 years of experience working in advanced technologies and such. What you do is you identify what's known as known goods, and you gather them together, and you pull them away from the things that are uncertain. So if you imagine it as a 50-piece puzzle on a card table, notice I didn't say 3,000-piece puzzle, I said 50-piece. What you do is you take, you're going to take, of those 50 pieces, you're going to take 46 of them, and you're going to say, I know all of these, I know exactly what all of these pieces are. I know I have a pretty good idea when they happen. I know who the players are. I know if this is the wise virgins or the foolish virgins. I know, all, you know, and when you have the known goods, the, the things that you know 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 what they are, you grab them and you pull them away from the things that you don't know, doesn't prevent you from moving forward, but it allows you to see, it, it's called following the 80-20 rule. You know that you have all these things and you know as a fact that they are going to happen. Now, in my world, which is a weird world, admittedly so, um, in my world, I look for exceedingly diverse confirmations. Now, what do I mean by exceedingly diverse? It's got to come, my confirmations have to come from different people who do not know each other, who ideally were born in different parts of the world and are, and are separated in age by decades. Also, the confirmations cannot happen all at the same time for me to embrace it as a fact. The confirmations have to be spread out over years of time. Also, the confirmations have to be supported by what's refer, what, I would re, what, what is commonly referred to as empirical evidence or artifacts. Empirical, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L, is a word which means undeniable. You're looking at it. You see it. It's a fact. Unlike everything that we hear coming out of the mouth of these entities out there that are running the governments. 
which is the antithesis, the opposite of empirical. When you're able to look at the news reports, when you're able to look at the UFO chief of the Pentagon come forward and announce that he has reason to believe that there is a mothership out in our solar system, right after the the Lake Huron event where they shot down to what appears to be alien probes, you know, you, you, you can't make this stuff up. When you weave the tapestry of all of this data together into the time that we're in right now, it's really, really hard to divorce yourself from the from and say, well, I don't have enough confirmations to establish this as being highly likely. For me, I have more than enough confirmations. That's why I talk about it. That's why I do dedicated radio shows on the subject. Because to me, it's undeniable. I'm the one who had the mother that told me at the age of 10 that Obama's the Antichrist. Now, she didn't use his name. But she said he was a mulatto man, and he was exactly my age, and he was on the earth today, and the Lord had shown her him. He stood right before her. I'm sure my mother's probably in, amidst the cloud of witnesses in heaven right now laughing hard, you know, saying, hey, pass me some more of that Romulan punch or whatever. You know, saying, look, there's my boy down there taking his beatings and keep on taking like a like – a, Timex or whatever. Praise God. All right, so I wanted to share all that with you because when it says the saints shall be given into his hand for times, times, and half a time, I believe that that is referring to the tribulation saints, the foolish virgins, who are referred to in Revelation 2.22, where it says, in Revelation 2.22, it says that they will be cast into great tribulations. Revelation 2.22, which is uh, the direct opposite of Revelation 3.10, where it says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I I will uh, deliver you from the hour of trial, the hour, the hour, the hour of trial that comes to test those who dwell upon the earth. That would be the tribulation saints. And that would also be a confirmation of the metaphor of the hour being the same thing as times, times, half a time, 42 months, 1260 days, 3.5 years. They all mean the same thing. Those are metaphors for the period of the Great Tribulation. Now, for those that are seven plus seven years, and they're all sitting around waiting for somebody to make a covenant uh, with many so that they can start counting the first uh, seven years, um, all I can say is, God bless your sweetheart, because I have a feeling you're going to be waiting a long time to figure out who made a covenant with many and what that is. Because I've heard, uh, oh my, if I had a penny for every time I've seen somebody proclaim that the covenant with many had occurred and what the circumstances were, if I had a penny for that, I would probably have enough money for a beautiful uh, wooden-hauled 45-foot yacht off of St. Martin. Praise God. But it's okay. You know, um, we are told in Proverbs 25 two, it is the glory of God to conceal of the matter and glory of kings to search out a matter. So we are encouraged strongly by the Holy Scripture to be looking into these things, deciphering these things, talking amongst one another, sorting them out, and getting excited about the times. We're commanded to watch. We're commanded to watch. We're commanded to look for the fig tree. We're, it's, we're told. We're warned. We're warned. If we don't, oh my. And we know beyond any shadow of a doubt, which I didn't realize, it didn't hit me before. It didn't. 
I used to ask myself, Luke 21, 36, Father, does that apply to the people in the 1300s? Father, does that apply to the people in the 1600s? And what's fascinating is we know that it applies to us. While the people in the 1300s, the 1600s, the 1800s believed that it applied to them, we, in contrast, know as a fact that it applies directly to us because we know that we know that we know that we know that the Olivet Discourse verses, that the uh, Revelation chapter 6 verses are where we are living today, right now. That means we are in the midst of the Olivet Discourse. So we are directly a part of those words in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, that Jesus spoke to help people know what was going to be going down just before our departure. And unfortunately, in the midst of all of that text, it does not speak to the rapture at all, which is okay with me, (laughs) because God has been very, very, very merciful to us. Yes, our bodies are falling apart. Yes, many of us need divine healings and we're going through all kinds of awful stuff. Yes, we need to fervently set aside time to pray for one another and deal with it. Wake up and keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, rinse and repeat. Keep on going, keep on going, rinse and repeat. Yes, we do. We really do. We surely do. Praise God. And we should want to pray for that physical strength. We should want to pray for that spiritual strength by virtue of our desire to please our Father. Because if we're crippled and limping and we can't do what our Father would like us to do in the days that we have ahead, because, oh my goodness, folks, really, think about it. If what they're saying right now about all of the Chinese-age military people coming across our borders and, and, you know, the Mexican border, uh, I, I don't even know if it's other borders, but I know for certain that it's our southern border, that an untold number, un, I don't know how many, nobody's ever said exactly how many. All they did was showed videos, films, of streams of uh, military-aged Chinese men coming through the borders into the United States. I don't know what to say about that, except it surely does seem to me that that's a precursor to an invasion and if that be true, then the time or the, the sequence of events that we are exposed to in the ceremony vision, the sequence of events that we are exposed to in the, in the, um, in the uh, oh, Chuck Youngbrandt encounter or dream or whatnot, those sequence of events may not necessarily be in the right order. The Red Dawn event could be upon us any day now. The TU-95 bombers flying over Canada and heading into the United States could be tomorrow. What we don't know, we, we don't, okay, I hate to use this colloquialism, but it fits. We don't know what we don't know, do we? No, we don't. And God reveals a little teeny bit more, it seems like, every time. 
And now he answered yet another mystery that was in my heart, which was Luke twenty one thirty six. We know that it is applicable specifically us for us. Praise God. And we know that for all the reasons that I just gave. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. So anyway, on that note, all right, I am going to, here we go. Praise you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Okay. Didn't work very well, and that happens to me all the time. Hallelujah. Okay. So we are talking about Friday, April the 21st. I am scrolling my eyes in as tight as I can on the computer. It is the 30th of Nisan. It is the counting of the Omer day number 15, and the year is 5783. The time now is 839 p.m. on the east coast of the United States of Babylon the Great. Oh, boy. Hallelujah. Again, April 21st, Friday night. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, together we light the Sabbath candles, or if you prefer the Shabbat candles, it does not have to happen on Friday. It can happen anytime. It can happen no time. We can worship you as it's the Sabbath every single day of the week. We thank you for Romans 14 to help us to be able to sort these things out and not accidentally slip into the law and Hebrew roots, which would be a travesty and the whole reason why Paul was sent back to straighten out Peter and uh, and John and such, uh, because they were doing exactly that and warning them. We thank you, Father God, for your word. We thank you, Father God, for your anointing. We thank you, Father God, for the healing that we need on our bodies to be able to fulfill the works that you have written in our books before there was time, before we were born here. Psalm 139, verse 16, Ephesians 2.10, hallelujah. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Hebrew Kadesh. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei peri hagafen Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'ratzavanu V'shabat kodsho v'yavah v'ratzon in Chilanu, Zikaron Lemase Vereshit. Ki Huyom Techila Lemikra Ekodesh, Zechelitiat Mitraim. Kivanu vacharta, veotanu kidashta, mikol hamim. Veshabat kodshecha, beava uvratzon, himchaltanu. Baruch atah Adonai Mekadesh HaShabbat. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, um, I'm going to share with you 
And for those of you who are longing for more prayer time, um, we're we're getting we're going. I mean, unless the Lord keeps on flooding me with mysteries and unbelievable writings and things like that, that I I feel unbelievably compelled to share. Um, then we're definitely going to probably next Friday get back a little bit, you know, quite a bit in alignment with the prayer methods and, and tactics and reading of the scripture as we have through hundreds of prayer vigils. Praise God, because I believe that we need that um, very much. But the Lord has given me one other document. Now, he gave me the epiphany right now because he always teaches me something whenever I share something. So I praise him for that. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. You know how much I hunger and thirst for mysteries. Thank you, Lord. I think we should all hunger and thirst for mysteries. We praise you. Strengthen our sinews, Lord. Strengthen our bodies. Strengthen our bodies. Our bodies, Father, they're deteriorating. Help us to be strong. Strengthen our spirits, Father. Draw us in closer to you in the mighty name of Jesus that we are able to serve you, Father, to the capacity that you have imagined and written in our book of remembrance before we were born, Father, in the name of Jesus, that we may serve you because we love you. You have chosen us for this time, and we give you all the glory. We give you all the glory, Father. Thank you so much. Praise your holy name.
Praise God. So the Lord gave me, you know, I, I believe, you know, the Lord gave me this document. I have no way to disseminate it amongst my fellow brothers and sisters and the listeners of this program, except to read it on the air. One thing is for sure is that I, I have no way I could possibly do that on a Wednesday or a Sunday program. So... I want to share this with you tonight because I can, I would submit to you that given the entire listenership of Tribulation Now's program, or or we could say programming, I feel like Fox or something, like, uh, but anyway, um, when I look at my options, I have none, but I know deep in my heart that there were tears flowing down my eyes as I read this. In fact, I am exceedingly discerning. Ver- I don't read. I mean, if let's say I get 20 things from various people from, you know, on, and, and, and in a three-day period. And I apologize, but I've got to hiccup something fierce right now. I'm working with it. Um, in any th- given three days, I might receive X number. I don't know what that number is, but I might receive, well, let's just pick a number. And in three days, I might receive eight communications, and out of those eight communications will be links, YouTube videos, Twitter events or whatever, posts. It's a wide array of stuff. And um, I won't be led to read or watch everything. If I did, I'd have to quit my job. I just don't have the strength, you know, and I don't have the, you know, right now I'm working on, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But, you know, like this morning, I, you know, I, I forced myself to stay in bed a little bit longer because I needed the rest. I just, three hours isn't cutting it. It's just not cutting it. I'm not able to stay awake for my clients. 
I just can't. I get. I start to trip over my words. I can't complete sentences. I. It's. You know. I'm sitting. You know, pounding caffeine down at three o'clock in the afternoon so I can make the last meeting. It's just not. You know. It's just not enough to sustain myself. You know. So. Um, anyway, praise God. Uh, but the information overload that is occurring right now is. Forget it. You can't quantify it. Now, that being said, this moved me. So assuming, let's use the number 10 because we're base 10 here in the United States of Babylon. In, let's say I received 10 items. I might feel led, you know, pulled, pulled. I can't explain it. It's like a supernatural pulling. Somebody will send me something and I feel pulled and I'm like, why do I, it's like I can't pull my hand away from the link. It's like I, and I just touch the link and then I'm sucked into that whirlpool of information. I've opened the link. Well, in this particular case, I was so tired when it was sent to me by this particular individual who, by the way, never said a word after they sent it. I, I even responded to him. I said, wow, this is really anointed. Thank you very much. They never so much as said a peep, not a peep, not a peep, not a, not a hey, you're welcome. Hey, I got this off of so-and-so site, nothing like that. It was weird. But anyway, but what was weirder was while there was a part of me that was saying, John, you don't have the time to read this. You don't have the time to read this. So I'm sitting there at like 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.05, 4.10 or whatever a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, think, and I'm starting to read this, and I'm thinking, wow, this is going to take a while to read. It's going to take me an hour to read, or whatever that magic number was. I never really, I didn't calculate it out. And when you're tired, you read at different speeds, and you, your comprehension is affected, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but here's the fascinating thing. Even though I felt half of my half of me was pulling me away from it, saying it's too big, it's going to take too long to read it all. But even when I tried to pull myself away from it, I couldn't. I, I don't know why. I, I just couldn't do it. I could not do it. I had to read the whole thing. I had to. There have been times, and I don't really understand it, where I was pulled so hard to do something that I couldn't stop it. One of those times was the switching of jobs, during the switching of the job testimony, which I've given already. This moment in time where I, I don't know, this rush came over me and it was like I had to go back and say, would you reconsider? Because I had already turned it down and then I went back within three days and said, would you reconsider? That, the pull that came over my body, soul, spirit, flesh and heart, the pull to do that was, it was insurmountable. It was, I couldn't overcome it. I couldn't stop it. I was literally out of control of my body. I was literally out of control of my mind. I was drawn. I filled it out. I sent it. I couldn't have stopped myself if I wanted to. I've got many other tests, not, not many, many, but a handful of other testimonies of things that have happened to me in my walk that are very supernatural where similar dynamics occurred. When I went to the church that Brother Kenneth asked me to go to, that he was very troubled. He, he was very deeply troubled. He was an elder. They didn't call him elders, but it doesn't matter. That's what he was the equivalent of. And Brother Kenneth said, would you please come to this church? Now, I'm not going to name the name of the church, but I will tell you, he asked me, please come and give me your assessment. What do you think about it? Very, very long story short, 
this rush came over my entire body, and I literally stood up in the middle of this, what was practically a satanic black mask, mass, it was so awful, and I stood up and screamed out into the congregation at the top of my lungs, his name is Jesus! His name is Jesus! And then I took my, my shoes, I almost said sandals, I mean, whatever, and I clapped them together three times, boom, 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 and I turned around and I walked straight out of the church. I could not control myself. I never do things like that. Never, ever. I never do things like that. Never. I'm a mouse in person. I just want to melt into the background. I blush when my sister introduces me to people in her church when I go up at Christmas. Because I'm like, what do I say to them? I'm just friendly. About it. But Anyway. I could not pull myself away from what it is I'm about to read to you. Okay? Now, what does that tell me spiritually about this document? this text, what it tells me spiritually is that if this text moved me that much, that I was drawn into it like a, uh, you know, like a sun into a black hole, I could not let it go. I could not pull away from it. And tears started to roll down my eyes because it was revealing to me a mystery of not my existence on this earth, but your existence on this earth, our existence on this earth. The answer to the greatest mystery of our walk on this earth it sits before me in the form of text on my screen and I am about to read it to you over the years of doing this work on this program I like I, I estimate oh, definitely over 5000 radio shows I have no I'm not even going to get into it it's just astronomical amount of work um the one thing that people would say over and over even to this day even to this day I bet I I believe I don't want to say I bet you that you know because I don't mean I don't want to get into that but I'm just saying that I don't I cannot fathom I cannot imagine more than a week going by that I wouldn't have a conversation with a believer associated with this show or somebody that I met. The the circumstances are irrelevant. The point is this. We always lament over one particular dynamic of our lives. We lament that we have nobody to share how we feel with. We lament how we could be persecuted and thrown in jail for 20 years for even talking about the things that we know. We lament that potentially our own children could turn us into the law because of the things that we know. We lament 
that we can't sit in a family get-together and a family picnic in the 4th of July. We can't. We don't have anybody to talk to. We feel so alone. We lament that we can't. We, we, we feel so drawn to grab a megaphone and say, what, people, look out. Here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Wake up. Please get ready. Here Jesus is coming. We lament we cannot fellowship over these things. We lament that we can't get together and have our own little, uh, you know, uh, potluck dinner together. And all the people in, that are listen, regular listeners of the show would just jump on an airplane and fly over to my house, and we'd all, you know, I, I, we wouldn't be able to fit <laughs> but a teeny weeny 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 little percentage of them in the house. But the point is, that's the number one thing that we that troubles us. It's our greatest frustration of being alive today. We are super bummed out that we're so alone. I, I, the word, there aren't words. When I say words like super bummed out, it's because I don't have any words. You know? There aren't words to describe it. You know, I was talking to my sister before the show started, and I was so tired, so tired. And, I mean, my gosh, there again, no words, right? No words. My sister, I told her, I said, well, I'm just so exhausted right now. I can barely keep my eyes open. And, and she's like, um, I, I forget how I put it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said to her, I said, it's like exhausted times 10. I mean, I was like, while she was talking to me, I was literally snorting, starting to snore. <laughs> I didn't fall completely asleep, but and but there have been times, folks. I'm I joke you not when I've got meetings coming up and client and all this stuff, and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm literally, it's like narcolepsy. I just can't get myself awakened, and I don't know what to do. But it's not every day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And I I do know one thing I have to do, and maybe more of us out there have to. I don't know is to pray for my physical body and to pray that I can somehow my leg I praise the Lord and thank you Jesus for this my I just I have a stretching strap that goes around my leg and I can pull it in it will stretch the tendon that goes down my left leg and I've been doing it every day and um it's working it's working which is great so I have great great hopes of getting back into a routine with the elliptical trainer and all that kind of stuff because if I don't I'm I'm going to be crippled I'll be on a walker for sure. So um, I don't want to go there, and I don't think there's anybody out there that does. <clears throat> but it's part of my walk and my plight, and I'm going to be praying an awful lot more for more physical healing. Because I need it badly. And there may be others of you out there that need it as well. Now, I have a lot of folks that are good, kind, friendly people that I don't want to see a lot, but a small, teeny number of folks, one in particular who knows who they are, has said that they have gone through a similar problem themselves and that I have to get out and start walking, get out and start walking, get out and start walking. Even my boss says, you got to go walking, you got to go walking, you got to walk. And I'm like, um, uh, hey, boss, have you seen my calendar? <laughs> are you going to magically inject a moment where I'm going to go for this walk you're talking about <laughs> you know it's like anyway it it sounds really great coming out of a person's mouth it really does it sounds fabulous but um the practicality of it is it ain't there 
It ain't having it. For one thing, if you go for a walk in Tampa, Florida in the middle of summer, which we're heading into right now, and it's getting really, really hot, thank God for air conditioning, can't live down here without air conditioning. I know that there are people that do, and I don't know how they do it. But anyway, the point is this. You're going to sweat so much from that walk. When you get back to the house, you are going to have to strip down, jump in the shower, completely shower, do all the stuff that you got to do, get a whole new set of clothes together, put those clothes on, and go back to work. So that entire exercise, let's say you do it over a lunch break. You've got to go out for your walk, and you've got to also have enough time to clean up to finish the last half of the day. And that is just from the lunchtime walk. What about the morning walk, and what about the evening walk? I don't have a team of people to wash my clothes every day. (laughs) Okay, you see where I'm in with this. Just the clothing impact, just the clothing impact of going for a walk in 110 degree feels like temperature, okay, in Tampa, Florida three times a day. Never mind the time investment. Wrapped around an already body slammed back-to-back meeting 10-hour day. And three days of the week being wrapped up to 20-hour days doing the radio show. Where am I going to put, how am I going to do it then? I can't. It's physically impossible to find the time on my calendar to accomplish that. And you might say, well, John, this is your health, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, I have thought about that, and the only answer I can come up with is to close down radio shows. And I don't want to do that. You know, do just a Sunday show or something like that. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. The only reason I want to, the if I didn't have, there are those times, many times when I'm so exhausted and so beaten down by my work, the day, all my challenges and stuff. And I know that we all have challenges. I am not being unempathetic. I am being very empathetic to every one of your challenges. We're all in this together. Okay, but maybe by me sharing my challenges with you, it will help you to deal better with your challenges. Maybe. I don't know. I hope so. But I say these things because I want to help others that are going through similar trials and tribulations in their lives. Because it's easy for somebody else to say, oh, all you got to do is take three walks a day, but they don't consider, okay, well, you know, <laughs> you know, in New Brunswick, that might work out really well for you. But when you're living down here, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's three changes of clothes a day. That's three showers a day, okay? That is not as simple as you think it is. Okay, so, it's it, it you know, there are different complexities associated with all of our walks. We all have really hard things. I know, I don't want to name names because it can be embarrassing, especially when you're going through hard times. But I know so many people that are going through so many really bad things, way, way worse than me. So if I can keep on stretching my leg, get back on the elliptical trainer, get a, get my a nice, you know, workout routine going and not give up, matter what. Once I get it going, nothing stops me. If I can get back into that routine, I'll be in really I'll be in a good place. I'll be in a really, really good place. Praise God. Um and I'll be able to do one really, really heavy duty workout in the morning and it will hold me throughout the entire day. I won't have to break it into three separate sessions which will be nice. Praise God. All right. All that being said, I want to read for you this 
um, document, and it's called Come Up to Me. Come Up to Me. This is the one that was sent to me out of the clear blue sky. When I say clear blue sky, see, sometimes things are sent to me in context. There is an existing conversation going on, and we're talking about aliens. We're talking about a imminent invasion on the earth and I get sent a video and then another video and then a booklet and then a link to a website. That's contextual communications and such like. This was out of context which is what makes it very, very supernatural. There was no existing communication. There was no conversation in progress. I woke up. I sat in my prayer chair probably almost certainly about 4.15, 4.20 a.m., because I usually feed the dogs first before I sit down. And there it was. And once I opened it, I said, wow, this is going to take me a long time. Maybe I better not read it now. And I got pulled into it like I was getting sucked into a black hole. I couldn't stop. And then the tears. This is the answer, what I would argue is one of the greatest mysteries of all of our walks right now. It is the answer to the greatest frustration of our existence on this earth at this time right now. It's the answer. And I'm going to share it to you. Praise Jesus. Here it goes. Good morning, precious. And by the way, if you do ask me and you say, hey, Johnny, you know, can you tell me who it was who wrote that? Where's the website? Can you give me a link? La, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my answer, I'm sorry to say, please forgive me, is no, I can't. It's not because I don't want to. It's because I don't have it. I have no idea. <clears throat> so I'm just going to read it. Because if if I could give you a link, if I could, if it was that easy... Then, then I would just announce it, and I would say, anybody who wants it, email me at blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> okay, praise God. So starting now, three, two, one. Good morning, precious remnant. Today is the day that the majority of the Christian church celebrates the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, those of us who have celebrated Passover already honored that fact. But each day we know that the power of his resurrection keeps us, empowers us, and motivates us to press on into the fullness of all that he's called us to be. Now, the message that I want to give today is one I mentioned in my last message that I received last weekend. On the Thursday and the Friday before that weekend, I had a feeling of intense loneliness wash over me. It was stronger than normal. And then, on Friday morning, the Lord began to speak to me to address this topic of the feeling of loneliness amongst the remnant. You know, Jesus felt like this in the midst of his disciples, as he knew and carried things in his heart that none of them would understand and none of them could see spiritually. The remnant experiences this, so she's equating the remnant with the apostle, you know, with, you know, with the apostles essentially. She goes on to say the remnant experiences the same thing in the midst of families. Oh, if I had, oh my goodness, if I had even a a hug, one little hug for every time somebody told me they sat with their family 
dozens of people at a party, a picnic, and they felt more lonely than they've ever felt. The remnant experiences the same thing in the midst of families who have no understanding of the times. Some of the remnant are physically all alone. I'm raising my hand right now. Some of the remnant are physically all alone. Some of them are emotionally alone, married to spouses who have no interest in setting themselves apart for the Lord. And so, the Lord wants to speak on this topic of loneliness, the sensation of loneliness amongst the remnant. By the way, when I went uh, before the Lord, before that event in time happened to me after 2016 when I was, I used to say to God in prayer on my knees, just bawling, pleading, beckoning him, begging him, Father, please, you said the reason why you let Adam have a helper was because he was lonely. I said, Father, look at me. Consider my loneliness. And then, you know, the series of events that God allowed to have happened to me were happened. They happened. And uh, it was uh, a dose of the refiner's fire that I am unaware I mean, it was just absolutely unbelievable. Anyway, so the rem- I'm going to, I quote again, the remnant experiences the same thing in the midst of families who have no understanding of the times. Some of the remnant are physically alone. Some are emotionally alone, married to spouses that have no interest in setting themselves apart for the Lord. And so the Lord wants to speak on this topic of loneliness, the sensation of loneliness amongst the remnant. As the tip I'm going to say this very carefully because this person, this author, says this over and over again. As the, quote, tip of the spear pierces ever deeper into the dense darkness that is rolling in. Now, this individual. So the tip of the spear is the remnant. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm shortening the learning curve a little bit here as to what this person is getting at. And, you know, I just want to really drive the point home because it's so deep. As the tip of the spear, e.g. the remnant, pierces ever deeper into the dense darkness that is rolling in, that's us enduring our daily lives while the CBDCs and the FedNow stuff is being instituted, the cashless society, 50-minute cities, uh, the, 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 push, the push for injections, the joining of the World Health Organization Treaty, all this stuff is going on. All this stuff is just going on gangbusters. As the tip of the spear, the remnant, pierces ever deeper into the darkness that is rolling in, that's us, and the rest of the spearhead is blissfully, this is the rest of the church, this is the rest of the church, this is your family, your friends, people that are locked up in uh, American churchianity and other places in the world. Listen, as the rest, it says, and the rest of the spearhead, the rest of the church, is blissfully unaware of what they are about to pass through. They don't know about CBDCs. They don't know that that the uh, vaccination has uh, you know graphene oxide and and uh, you know Hydra creatures inside of it, and it's going to be communicated with 5G and all the DARPA. Doc- they don't know any of that stuff because it's the rest of the spearhead. Because they're blissfully and happily unaware of what is about to happen to them. 
The author goes on to say, the extent of the feeling of separation and loneliness becomes more and more tangible within the hearts of the remnant. But we must remember, precious remnant, we are those mentioned in Malachi 3, those who fear the Lord, who speak often to one another and think on his name. Those names are recorded in the book of life who and are and and who are to be his jewels in the day that he openly declares them. So she's saying uh, that uh, we are those in Malachi 3.16. Now I will, in the spirit of full, dis- you know, not full disclosure, but going the extra mile, we'll just say 3.16. Enter. It says in Malachi 3.16, it's the subtitle in the New King James is A Book of Remembrance. Now, the author of this word that I'm reading to you implied that it was the book of life, essentially, you know, but it, it, it doesn't refer to it as such in the scripture. I'm just going to read it to you. The subtitle is A Book of Remembrance. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke often to one another, and, and uh, I'm sorry, spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before our Heavenly Father for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. And our Father says about us, he says, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. On that day I will make them my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. This is pretty cool stuff. I love that scripture, by the way, because, you know, it's funny. I'll be sitting there talking on the phone to somebody, and all we talk about is God, 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 and the Lord, the times that we're in right now, how awesome it's going to be to be in heaven, how amazing it is, all the things that the Lord has shown us. Oh, my gosh, are we getting close? We could leave any time now. World War III might start. You know, and we're just like so excited. We're so excited. We're so excited. We're so Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before our Heavenly Father for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, and on that day I will make them my jewels. I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Wow. That's awesome. Okay, so anyway, so the author of this uh, paper refers to it as the book of life. I do not believe that that is the case. It is not referring to the book of life. It is referring to a book of rem- a book of remembrance. Do we know how many books of remembrance that we have? Do we do each of us have our own individual book of remembrance or is there this gigantic book of remembrance or but it's the book of life and the book of remembrance are not the same book. Anyway, that's okay. It's it's irrelevant because the spirit of the communication inside this paper is absolutely amazing. What you've heard thus far is enough to, it ought to be enough to blow your mind. As it says, as the tip of the spear, us, pierces ever deeper into the darkness that is rolling in, which we see every day. And the rest of the spearhead is blissfully unaware of what they are about to pass through, the rest of the church and our family. The extent of the feeling of separation and loneliness become more and more tangible within the hearts of us, the tip of the spear. Wow. That is, 
That is so deep it makes the Mariana Trench look like a little bull, little blue plastic swimming pool <laughs> you know, with little three-year-olds in it. Oh, praise God. And goes on to say, another of his jewels, referring back to Malachi 3.16, another of his jewels was Moses. That humble man also pressed higher and higher, passing into the darkness of the cloud on Mount Sinai, knowing that there he would have a tryst with God of heaven and earth face to face. And for those who don't know what the word tryst means, it is an appointed meeting with a beloved, a secret appointed meeting with with a beloved. So the author wanted to really make it clear the depth of what this actually was referring to. In Exodus 20, verse 21, it says, And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. That word drew near is Nagash, Nagash, H5066, in the Strong's Concordance. It, H meaning Hebrew, in the Strong's Concordance. It means to bring near, to lie with a woman, or to worship, or to ascend higher. So, in the word for drew near, there is a sense of drawing closer for the purpose of intimacy with God. Then she goes on to quote Isaiah 60, verse 2. The darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you and cause his glory to be seen upon you. That word darkness is arafal, and where it says the Lord will arise upon you, the word is zarach, to shoot forth beams, to rise as the sun. Remember Malachi 4. It says the day that burns like an oven comes, and the wicked will be left without a root or branch. But for those who fear his name, the son of righteousness will arise, Zarach, with healing in his wings. It's connected to the glory being seen upon those who fear the Lord. Hallelujah. Remember when Moses came back down the mountain, his face shone with the glory of God, because he had been basking face to face in the glory of God for 40 days. That's the thing about pressing into the darkness, about being separated from the pack. There's an appointment and a tryst with God with the God of glory, Exodus twenty four twelve says it is. Um, it what? Um, sorry, says it was. Yeah, this is a mistake in the text. Was an invitation issued to Moses alone? It was not issued to the elders. It was not issued to the priests who were feasting on the lower slopes of the mountain. And I mentioned in my last message, it was an invitation extended by God to his friend Moses. He said, come up to me into the mountain and be there. Come up. The word is um, Allah, uh, meaning to ascend. Beloved, it's steep going up higher, and you're leaving the rest of the pack behind. Those who have feasted on the lower part of the mountain are not invited. Only to people ascended. Moses and his servant Joshua, it's, being, it's, uh, it's lonely leaving the brethren behind. It's hard climbing higher up a rocky mountain. But God has called his friends to come up to him, not just to come up for the sake of being up higher, but also to come up to him and be there. It's not a quick visit. 
to be there. It speaks of a tarrying in a place where you can't see or get oriented because the dark cloud obscures your sense of earthly perspective. It's quiet in the dark cloud until God speaks. And most of all, it's lonely. And it's probably a little bit scary. No one else lower down can see what's going on with you. The others lower down can't understand what's happening. Why have you separated from the pack to go up higher? They did not receive the invitation. They did not read the invitation. Moses heard the invitation. God had obscured their vision with the thundercloud. And you have to forgive them for not understanding what's going on with you. Your family, your friends, your husbands and wives. You have to forgive them. You were called. You're the tip of the sphere. It's lonely there. Praise God. It goes on to say, they are where God has appointed them to be. But you, the tip of the sphere, God has called higher, and he is hiding you. He is hiding your meeting place with him. In Exodus 24:15, it says that the cloud co- covered the mountain, and that the word cloud is a thundercloud. In other words, it's a dark cloud. The word covered in Hebrew means to conceal, to hide, or to cover for protection. And Exodus 24:18 says that Moses was in the midst of the cloud. The word midst in Hebrew means to sever. Beloved, as you separate from the pack and you come up higher in the midst of the cloud, there is a cutting off and a sealing with God. There is an appointed there there uh, here there is appointed an impartation. The receiving of a message of others on the lower slopes or in the valley and at a commissioning with great detail involved. But all around you is a thundercloud, and all other people can see is a cloud approaching. While in the midst of the dark cloud, you are face-to-face with God. Far below, the people of God are falling down and worshiping the Egyptian idol. Wow, that sounds like Donald Trump, doesn't it? Look at that. But all around you is a thundercloud, and all the other people can see is a cloud approaching. While in the midst of the dark cloud, you are face-to-face with God far below. People of God are falling down and worshiping Donald Trump. Interesting. At least in the American church, right? Amen? And it goes on to say, you know, Jesus in Matthew twenty six thirty eight asked his three closest disciples to watch with him for one hour. He told them that he was struggling. He said he was exceedingly sorrowful, and he just went at, and and they just slept on the watch. You know, we who are the tip of the sphere desire to have faithful friends stand with us and support us and carry us and help to carry the weight of the knowing of what we know that is about to happen. How many feel like that? If you say no, I am very surprised to hear that. I can I can only imagine a resounding amen. 
goes on to say, quote, but men fail us just as we are at the most vulnerable. In other words, we need somebody to talk to. We need someone to share some amazing thing that God showed us. But, and guess what? That's when we're the most vulnerable. There's nobody that you can talk to. I know this better than anybody. I guarantee it. I don't know if I know it better, but I will say that I certainly know it probably almost certainly equal to anyone that's out there. Where I look at all of my contacts and I go to myself, I have nobody I can call. Nobody. 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 And I just sit there all by myself with the weight of the world on my shoulders. I want to scream and warn people. The loneliness is absolutely palpable. But this paper is anointed, and it helps us to see the glory, the wonderfulness, the awesomeness of that loneliness. It goes on to say, there is a loneliness in that. You know, when everybody fails to be be there for us, when we need to share and we're at our most vulnerable. There is a loneliness in that. We find ourselves in the place of Gethsemane, the olive press alone, praying to our Father and asking if there's some way to avoid going um, through what we see up ahead. Father, if it is at all possible, take this cup from me. That's what she's referring to, or or this author is. I don't know if it's a he or she. Father, and asking if there's some way to avoid going through what we see up ahead. Take this cup from me, if it is at all possible. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Hallelujah. That's what this is referring to. But sadly, there are some who have walked with us in the past who now sleep when they should be watching. Right, wow. I just saw this connection. You know, I opened up, I did not know when I opened up the program, I was going to start talking about watch, therefore, watch, therefore. I didn't know. I had no idea I was going to do that. Look at how this white paper is wrapping itself right back to the concept of watching. I will repeat that sentence, quote, but sadly, there are some who have walked with us in the past, amen and amen and amen, who now sleep when they should be watching who have no understanding of the times, that betrayal for the body of Christ is up ahead. And by the way, how many people who are no longer listening to Tribulation Now have no idea about CBDCs, FedNow, uh, you know, um, uh, um, you know the, the, the vaccines, all the stuff, oh my gosh, all the stuff, it's in place, it's in place, it's in place. I mean, yes, we have a pretty strong belief that there's a, list of big events that still have yet to happen, but we don't know when our departure is. It goes up, it continues to say, quote, by the third time Jesus had checked on his friends, the appointed time had come and he had quieted his heart and had totally submitted to the will of the Father. And it says in verse 45 that he had said to them, sleep on, for the time of watching with him is over. The next chapter was at hand. We have to come to terms with the cup that the Father has appointed us to drink alone. Wow. Wow. Even though those we have walked and talked about God with are a stone's throw away, it's to us and God. It's us and God. 
And there's a loneliness in that. Hey, it's right there when God's talking about Adam in the garden. And Adam was lonely. God walked with Adam. God hung out with Adam. They were pals. They were buds. But God saw that Adam was lonely. So he brought him a helper. Looky there. It's probably why uh, Odin Hetrick was shown so much about uh, covenant companions. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, may we all benefit by that incredible reward. By your grace, Father, and mercy. It goes on to say, quote, So back to Mount Sinai, there's a dense darkness and a hiddenness. There is an encounter with the glory of the Lord. And as I said, this is an equipping encounter, a face-to-face, even in the midst of the thundercloud. And it's lonely getting to that place, beloved. You climb alone. Remember all the analogies I would use about climbing on this ladder that keeps on going higher and higher above the Amazon forest, and you keep on climbing higher and higher and higher, and people get stuck on different rungs of the ladder, and they never even realize that they're in a forest at all. And then you get so high up on the ladder that you look over the top of the canopy of the Amazon forest, and you see the Pacific Ocean on the other side of Chile and Peru, and you go, wow, the vastness of God is amazing. And most of your family and friends and churchianity and everybody else is back there still worshiping the Egyptian idol. It says, quote, you climb alone, you press into the thick darkness by yourself, and each step you take moves you further away from those that you, who have stayed behind. Amen. But you must learn to look with the eyes of your heart and press towards face to face. You ascend into the glory light of God. You move towards your appointment for empowerment. That's amazing stuff. Thank you, Jesus. It goes on to say, and I quote, This is, all capital letters, this is not a journey taken by crowds, only by invitation. It is issued to the friends of God. He tells his servants, he, I'm sorry, he tells his secrets to his friends. And we must stop being governed by our natural senses and other human emotions. Oh my gosh, was that written for me? Our spiritual eyes and ears must become our foremost instrument of navigation. Alleluia. Thank you, Jesus. This is powerful. First time I read it, I didn't even notice a lot of this stuff. It's blowing me away right now. Thank you, Father. You know, if I'm the only one listening to this prayer vigil tonight, what a blessing. I mean, it's not, it's not a blessing. I don't want that to come out wrong. I want as many people to hear this as, 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 as is technologically and humanly possible. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. What I'm really saying, though, is even if there wasn't anybody sharing in this amazing story or this amazing testimony... Even if it was just me reading it a second time alone in my room, I would still be looking at it just like I look at the uh, the white paper, um, Combat in the Spiritual Realm, How Satan Stops Our Prayers. Every single time I read that white paper, I learn more and more and more and more and more. And I wonder how much – is this going to be the same kind of a paper? I don't know. This is not a journey taken by crowds. It's only by invitation issued to the friends of God. Father tells his secrets to his friends, and we must stop being governed by our own natural senses and other human emotions. 
Thanks for the spanking, Otter, whoever you are. Our spiritual eyes and ears must become our foremost instruments of navigation. To check our position at this point by our natural eyes and ears is to invite double-mindedness, fear and fatigue to set in. Ouch, ouch, that hurts. Ow. To check our position at this point by our natural eyes and ears is to invite double-mindedness, fear and fatigue to set in. Wow, that's deep. I want to read to you from Jeremiah 23, 8, 19, and 20. Quote, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he, he has executed and performed all of the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, the days that we are in right now, you shall consider it perfectly and understand it. Wow. And it goes on to say, now that the latter means end times, in other words, today, so it means the end time days, you will understand this. Do we understand it right now? Me think so. So there are those standing in the counsel of the Lord and following it. There is an appointment for a whirlwind of judgment to fall on the head of the wicked. It says the same thing in Jeremiah thirty twenty three and 24. All right, it goes on to say, I want to draw your attention to Jeremiah thirty twenty one. It speaks of a leader. One who goes before a company shall proceed from the midst of them, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. For who is it that has engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? Wow. Who, who would have the boldness to dare on his own initiative to approach me, saith the Lord? So we see it is God who issues the invitation. He causes us to draw near. God said, come up to me. And Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. No one comes near to God on their own accord. In the glory cloud, it is by invitation only. Take a moment to review your life. Take a moment to review where you sit now. Take a moment to review all of the periods of frustration and loneliness that you have endured over the last several years. Meditate upon that. And now apply what you have just heard to it. This comes with great responsibility. It requires us, me in particular, to not fall into our natural senses or human emotions. Praise God. It says, the Hebrew word translated lonely, H3173, the word yakid, uh, also it means united, only, beloved, desolate, or solitary. And it comes from a root word, yakad, which means to become one. So in the word so in the word lonely is hidden the purpose for which a loneliness is brought about in the spiritual sense, to become one with God. It is in order for you to become one, to be united with the Lord as his beloved. So we all need to spend more time in gushing, Let me repeat that word, in gushing praise. There's a difference between saying, thank you, Father, praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord, we thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 
I'm talking about gushing praise, where you are so lost in the praise with your hands lifted up to him in your prayer closet that you can feel the rush, that emotional rush. I don't know what, how, how else to describe it except to call it emotional rush come over you. He goes on to say, quote, it is in order for you to become one, to be united with the Lord as his beloved. And one does not feel desolate in the sense of closeness to others because the virtue of the Lord is singling you out and issuing you an invitation to come up to me. One is bereft of the others because they did not receive an invitation. Either that or they did receive. I would, I would amend this, okay, and I'll tell you why. Because when you compare this to Matthew 22, and let's do that just for a second, just to drive this point home. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm watching the clock because I know I'll run out of time. But when you go to Matthew 22, and it says, you know, it's the parable of the wedding feast. It says, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, our heavenly father, who arranged a marriage for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. Verse 4, it says, again, he sent out other servants. The word other in this case is actually there, and it means it is uh, Greek 0243, alos, and it's a primary word meaning else or different, another group, different. Okay, you understand? Another or other. It's really there. Okay, I just gave you an expanded definition from the from you know from the uh, Strong's in uh, the Bible Dictionary. All right, now. Why is this relevant to what we're talking about? Because notice that that the king sent out his servants, us, to warn people and say, get ready for the wedding. We're leaving now. We need to get ready. Uh, They've got CBDCs. They've got Fed now. They've got, uh, you know, um, uh, they've got this, uh, you know, evil uh, 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 nanoparticles, you know, uh, inside the the vaccine. You know, the 5G towers are going to communicate with them. They're setting up 15-minute cities all over the place. They're about to make a cashless society. All these things are coming to pass. You know, World War III is about to start. Uh, You know, and, and and they're all going, you know, God, okay, so I just wanted to share this with you. Just, I just want you to hear this. I just want you to hear this. You're, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh. But I want you to have the, oh, my gosh. I want you to have the rush. Because if you don't have the, oh, my gosh, rush, you're really, 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 you're, you're missing out. The, oh, my gosh, rush is like, oh, my. Okay. So let me read this to you. This is by a sister who calls herself Julie Donuts, and she somehow she found her way into my finely tuned Twitter feed, and I never blocked her. And I'm going to tell you why. I know now why. I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to also let you know before I read it that this is exactly what my precious sisters believe is going to happen, essentially. This lady named Julie says, 
to everybody. She's really excited, and she says, the Federal Reserve will no longer exist. It will be merged with the Treasury. The chairman of it all will be Donald J. Trump. Nassara is coming. Greatness is coming. Hang on, guys. It's just a matter of timing. Everything must be done by the law. No mistakes. We are alive to witness the greatest transfer of wealth and power ever. It's all God. God anointed Trump as his King David. Trump was the only man that could withstand the evil that would come with taking down the entire deep state. This military is behind Trump. Praise God. We are finally going to be free because of Donald Trump. Now you know why I feel really, really, really lonely. Even why I'm happy to be with my family. I'm happy to be with all the people and enjoy the food and everything at Christmas or whatever holiday I go up there, but that's what I'm surrounded by. And I dare not question it. I dare not ask questions like, doesn't it bother you that the prophets that you're following, not one of the prophecies has come true, not one. Trust me, you don't want to say that. I I just let it all slide off my, it's, 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 you know what? It's all being talked to right here. It says right here, and I'm going to read it again. And one does not feel desolate in the sense of closeness to others, because by virtue of the Lord singling you out and issuing you an invitation to come up to me, one is bereft of others because they we are bereft of others. In other words, we're not able to mingle, we're not able to share, we're not able to fellowship, we're not able to tell people that are parts of our families, our spouses, and all the and we, we we're stuck, we're lonely, we're trapped in our our like Paul said, prisoners of Christ. Because they didn't receive the invitation and we did. Now, I'm not saying, I'm adding to this. I believe that many of them did receive an invitation. But their flesh blocked it. Receive it. Jesus would say all the time, if you can receive it, many can't. In fact, believe it or not, I've discovered that it is fear. Fear is the number one thing that enters the heart of a Christian that makes them, they're horrified when they think of what's coming. When they see all the stuff that we know from the, from the viewpoint of the tip of the spear, when they see all those things happening around them, they are horrified. So therefore, they go into a state of denial, and they grab a hold like a teddy bear, and they squeeze with all their might whatever it is on earth that they believe is going to save them from this other evil that they know is there or heard is there. But, you know, and the other thing is you never know. You never know at what point they went into denial. Some of them go into denial at everything. Some of them climb the seven mountains. Because it sounds exciting there, safe. It goes on to say, we are not only separated from those on the lower slopes and in the valley, <clears throat> but one is separated unto 
Even at a wedding, this is moving. This is very moving. Even at a wedding, the bride... Hold on a second, got to get my composure. Even at a wedding, the bride leaves her father and mother and cleaves to the groom. Now, we really have to go back in time. We have to go back in time to when there was a such thing as a virgin marrying, getting married and things like that. That's thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. But my point is, if you can move your heart, your mind, and your soul, your spirit back to that time and embrace the whole concept of being brought up Amish, if you will. Um, It goes to say, even at a wedding, the bride leaves her father and mother, who who she was totally dependent upon for everything, and cleaves to the groom. So she stops hugging and snuggling in the midst of her father and her mother. She willfully walks away from her father and her mother. And she walks over to the groom and she cleaves to him. She wraps her arms around him and she says, I am yours. Take care of me. I am all yours. I need you to take care of me. He goes on to say, in Western culture, when a, when a bride leaves her father's arms and steps toward her groom, there is a separating from all that she has belonged to before, from all that identified her before. It may only be one or two steps in the natural, but there is a lone, an aloneness in that moment. No one goes with her. She takes those steps alone. She is solitary. She is lonely. The beloved of the bridegroom, as she moves toward becoming one with him. It goes on to say, your appointed place. Now, precious remnant, who fashions the spearhead? Who fashions the spearhead? It is the Creator. Who decides what part of the metal goes from the tip to the sphere? Uh, What part of the metal goes to form? Sorry, sorry, my bad. Who decides which part of the metal goes to form of the spear? It is the hand of our Heavenly Father that hammers and heats and forges. Boy, that sounds like the last five years of my life. I was being hammered. I was being fired, forged. But anyway, the spearhead just does as our Heavenly Father chooses. Some parts of the spearhead are hammered and filed and sharpened more than others. Boy, if that isn't for real. Ding, 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 ding. The tip of the spear must be the sharpest of all. It's appointed to penetrate the target. Isn't the target the devil and his demons? Mm -hmm. To pierce the barrier. And because of this, extra care and attention is given to the tip of the spear, shaping and sharpening. More of its substance is cut off and removed. Oh, boy. (laughs) I wish I could get, well, I'm not going to say it. Never mind. I want to keep on going. It's a lonely place ahead of the pack. 
But it is the will of our Father that positions and portions just as he pleases. The design is his, and necessary treatment to fit the appointed place of the spearhead is part of the pattern. Isaiah says that God declares he creates the smith that blows upon the coals and makes a weapon to fit for its purpose. All the circumstances of your life, wow, that combine to make a fire pit to shape that spearhead are by our Father's mysterious design and appointment. And if he rains more blows and pushes you further and shapes you more minutely in order that you may be part of his tip of the spear company, know that all that heat, every blow, every polishing is with divine purpose. Did you hear that? (laughs) This is absolutely stupefying goes on to say, Song of Songs says about the bride, my love, my dove, my perfect one. She stands alone above the rest. Not only does this mean a standing out in terms of beauty and purity, but a separating from the cloud, a standing alone in loneliness. There is a loneliness in being chosen as part of his beloved. Many were called out, but few were chosen. How many times have I said, many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Father, please choose us. How many times? It says right here, quote, many were called, but few were chosen. Few make themselves ready. Few are, obedi- are obedient to the call of the ho- uh, to be holy as he is holy. And as a result... As one presses further into the Christian walk in these end times, sometimes it's hard to find friends who are of the same heart. Sometimes. I would say 150% of the time. Sometimes those who are formerly your friends will no longer have anything in common with you. Oh, hi, my name's John. Um, You may bump into them uh, in the street. And after the initial, how you doing and how's the family, there's really nothing to say to one another. And you come away from those encounters with an incredible feeling of loneliness and loss. Relationships that, that meant so much to you in the past. This separation between you is not because you had a fight. It's not their anger and resentment between you, but because you've moved in a different direction. Some have stayed where they were 10 years ago spiritually and have not grown. Some have fallen back into the world and some have gone into captivity, yet there is a remnant that is pressing on, pressing ahead of the rest in pursuit of the beloved. And it's lonely. It's real lonely. Praise God. Come up into the cloud, precious remnant. Keep climbing and penetrating the dark clouds where your natural senses will be of no help to you. Press on. You are moving towards being bathed by the glory light. There is in the midst of the darkness. Tarry there. Don't clamor back down to the un, uh, to the known and the familiar. Don't descend to the lower slopes because it feels safe there. You know it's not like when you're in a department store that has stories that you climb up and to, to go to the different levels and you kn- and you go around there and look at all the racks. It's a uh, is there a garment that fits me? No, there's nothing. You don't want to purchase any of that stuff. You want to stay up high. You want to be in the glory. You want to ascend into the presence of God and to experience him and, and respond, not only out of obedience, by, but by deep hunger and thirst for all that is the glory of that which awaits us. 
And with the last little bit of time that we have, dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for this time to be able to share this incredible epiphany, this incredible revelation, this incredibly encouraging word that is so many exits ahead of so many others that don't understand. And it's okay. Father, we just want to praise you and thank you so much. We don't understand. We don't. We don't know why. We have no idea. But we do know that every word that was written in this anointed white paper supernaturally aligns perfectly with the struggle of the loneliness of our walk. It aligns with the frustration that we feel because we can't warn people and they're not listening. It aligns with Matthew 22 being part of the servants that were called out to invite people to the wedding, but they were unwilling to come. It aligns to the worshiping of the Egyptian idol and believing that Trump is going to save everything for them. Father, the epiphany, the revelation, the amazingness of this information, this text, this anointed word that you gave to us tonight is beyond our comprehension. Deep cries unto deep. We pray in the name of Jesus that you will find us each worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand right there in the city of the living God before our King Jesus as we cling to him because all else has left. Thank you for this opportunity, Father. Let us be found worthy in Jesus' name. Now, on the, way, on the day that Jesus was betrayed, communion, he took bread, gave thanks, and said, Here, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in that same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Hmm. little more than I wanted. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. In remembrance of me. When you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, praise you, Jesus. We remember you. We draw closer to you. Let us cling to you. Let us become you. Become one with our bridegroom. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us. Ani Lododi Vadodi Li. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. God bless you all. See you next Friday, Lord willing.
come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace. Redeemed we are by your embrace. Praise his holy name. Praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you we will endure until you come back for your bride to set her free. Write our names in your book of life. We are cleansed through your holy sacrifice. As we lift your name on high. Renew our life. Renew our soul. Remove the scars from our past. And deem us righteous. 